bedtime story girl. <laughs> I'm Angie Dixon. This is my sun country. Oh, hello, Sarah. Welcome to our Sir Arthur. Well, I'm certainly glad you're not my mother. I am too. Say so you drink it. You'll need it. So I've never had to deal with the dumb blonde category, just the just the bitch category. Well, you're full of surprises. This is the Made for TV Mayhem show, and that was just a taste of some of the women we're going to be talking about tonight because our episode is dedicated to our favorite made for TV movie actresses. I'm so excited about tonight, and part of the reason why I'm so excited is not only because it gives me a chance to hang out with my two co hosts, whom I adore, but we got a ton of feedback, which surprised me. Um, not because I don't, well, I don't know who's listening. It could be one person. It could be 12. People might just be leaving feedback. But the fact that people are just as passionate about these actresses as I am was really, really cool. So I'm super excited about tonight. So I'm just going to get us started. And I'm going to start by talking to Dan, who apparently is a total asshole because he has allergies. Isn't that right, Dan? I've got, I've got really bad allergies kicked in a couple of days ago. So I'm going to try to not sniffle and sneeze all over the mic uh, um, throughout the show. And may I just say real quick, I don't want to applaud. I don't want to mess up the levels of this episode, but I thought that intro was fantastic. Who did that? <laughs> I think because I threatened you to love it, didn't I? <laughs> uh, possibly, possibly. I thought it was pretty good, though. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, no, apart from the allergies, I'm doing fine. I've got I got a lot of notes here. I'm ready to chat. I'm, um, ready, I'm excited uh, for everyone to find out who... My favorite TV movie actress is. Yeah, I'm excited too because we're all going to be throwing out recommendations for that actress as well, mm. and um, which meant that I got to relive some of my favorite moments with all these women. And so many people pick so many good actresses. So we're going to throw out Rex for some of the other actors that got mentioned in the feedback. And so what we're going to do is we got so much feedback, and I wanted to talk about every actress, but it would be impossible in 90 minutes that we're going to talk about a couple of them from the feedback, but. Later on, we're going to take the list and we're all going to contribute to some of it, meaning that on the website, we'll be putting um, our recommendations for some of the movies, uh, for some of the actors that were mentioned on it. And then tonight, we'll just mention, we'll talk about three or four of them. So it should be really fun. And Nate's also here to talk about TV movie actresses. Are you ready, Nate? I'm very much ready. Are you super excited? Yeah, very excited. Are you wearing your best PJs? Yeah, they actually have bats on them. <laughs> I just got them for my birthday. Oh, oh. it was your birthday yesterday. Happy birthday. Oh, happy Thank birthday. You. Happy belated birthday. So you turned 22, is that right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how well you know TV movies considering that they didn't even exist by the time you were born. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, did you recognize the opening quote from my uh, opening? That was uh. I mean, I will say I agree with Dan. It was an amazing opening, but I actually did not. That was from that movie you picked from our very first episode, A Friend to Die For, with Tori Spelling. <gasps> and that's, oh, I love that movie. I can't she, get that. That's when she finds her diary. Remember when they're on the ski trip? Yes. I did. Yeah, I remember that scene. <laughs> yeah, so I thought, I just found that randomly online, and I was like, oh, God, this is so good. <laughs> it was part of the opening. It became everything is what it became for like the 12 years I can deal with that opening. <laughs> anyway, so to get us started, though, we got a piece of feedback actually a while ago that I haven't read because it just didn't seem to fit in. We were doing game shows and blah, blah, blah. But it came from um, a really great listener that I've been actually corresponding with a little online. Um, he might be following you, too, Dan. His name is Tristan Lofting. 
Do you recognize? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I recognize Tristan's a good guy. So he wrote a piece of feedback maybe six weeks ago or so. And he wrote, Hi, Amanda, Dan, and Nathan. I've been listening to the podcast this week, and I greatly enjoy it. I am a great admirer of Ingmar Bergman, even though I have only seen about half of his films. What most people don't know is that many of his films, especially in the latter half of his career, were made for television. A few, such as Scenes from a Marriage and Fanny and Alexander, were miniseries that were cut down for theatrical release here in the state. People in general love to denigrate television movies, not knowing that one of the greatest filmmakers worked in the medium on a regular basis. Here's a list of his television work. The Right from 1969, Scenes from a Marriage from 1973, The Magic Flute, which he has as two years, 74 and 75, From the Life of Marionettes, 1980, Fanny and Alexander, 1982, After the Rehearsal, 1984, The Blessed Ones, 1986, In the Presence of a Clown, 1997, The Image Makers, 2000, which was a play for TV, and something called Saraband from 2003. He also directed a number of plays for television that aren't available for home viewing. I also grew up watching a great deal of British TV movies and miniseries, and once in a while, things from Australia. This email is long enough, so I'll end it here. Thank you for reading, Tristan. So thank you very much for sending this, Tristan. Um, I wanted to read this on the air because I, I feel like I responded this said this to him when I responded, but I think I knew Fanny and Alexander was a miniseries, but I'm not positive. Yes. That. He, I think we talked a little bit about whether or not we would be discussing these on our show, and I'm not sure. They just seem really heady, but if we did, we would do something like one of them. Like Yeah, scenes, scenes from a marriage is, whew, it's a little rough. <laughs> it's a little rough. I, was yeah. thinking, I remember Fanny and Alexander, and I know I've seen portions of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Yeah, that would be really interesting. And also mm-hmm. the image makers, because I love plays that are shot for television. I used to watch them all the time. I, I would say also uh, the magic flute. I'm not a big opera guy, but, but Bergman's The Magic Flute. I own the Criterion DVD. I probably watch it maybe two times a year. I absolutely adore it. Oh, that would be a good one, too. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what he brought up here is that People do tend to say things all the time like, well, it's like a TV movie, like, and that's like the world's greatest insult. But there are great TV movies in the canon, and there are there are great TV movies nostalgic-wise, but there are also great TV movies that have lasted to the years. Things like The Day After and Early Frost, those are really important movies, and they still, uh, oh, Doing Time on Maple Drive, do you remember that one with Jim Carrey? Those are movies that still evoke emotions from people, and so, and that, that's not Ingmar Bergman, but... It's, you know what I mean? They're important films. Mm-hmm. And I I really like that he kind of brought that up. And so I wanted to thank him and read his um, letter. But we're going to get lowbrow now because... <laughs> Where are we going? Yeah, I don't actually we... have an opening. I didn't even think to make an opening for this. But so uh, it turns out our last episode, which was a game show uh, themed episode, where I found TV movie titles I didn't think Dan or Nate were familiar with. And then I had them create what they thought the movie was about. And it turned out to have a really, really popular response. We got a lot of good feedback. Uh, we even had somebody, our good friend Shannon, made artwork for the movies, which are on, which will be on our site. It's on my blog site, which is madefortvmayhem.com, but I'm going to post those pretty soon on our podcast page, so you can look at those as well. It was just really fun, so we decided, I don't know if we'll do it every episode, but we're going to try to, like, do a game here and there, because it's just fun. It's fun. And so this week, Dan wanted to pick the movie, and yes. really excited to see uh, what, well, mostly what Nate comes up with, because I'm not very creative. So. Oh, you're going to be great. You're going to be great. <laughs> So I, I picked actually it's it's funny I I took I took Merrill to work the other day uh, that's that would be Alvin Merrill's movies made for television and I found ten great titles within five minutes yeah so so I chose this one just because it has a punctuation mark in it that's important and so so when I I'm going to say the title and then when I say the punctuation mark those words aren't in the title it's a punctuation mark so just bear with me the title of this film is shirts forward slash 
skins. Nate? Um, let's see. I mean, if I'm being completely uncreative, I'm thinking the basketball team. You know, it's mm-hmm. like uh, back in uh, high school when they would be like, okay, your shirts and your skins. But the movie's about kids that are actually body conscious <laughs> because they don't want to take their shirts off. So, um, you know, it's a very coming-of-age story about being proud of yourself. I'm being very uplifting tonight. <laughs> you are. Well, you had a wonderful birthday. Who would be in this movie? Who would be the body-conscious cast? Oh, man. Um, or possibly or possibly the coach who, who gets them to take their shirts off, uh, the which coach, is another movie, actually. Probably. I picture the gym coach being somebody like Vic Tabak. Oh, perfect. <laughs> oh, man, he would be great. Heart of gold. He's Heart definitely of gold. the coach. Yeah. And, he, and he takes off his shirt to prove. To prove it's okay. It's okay. Be proud of yourself. If Big Tabak yeah. can do it, anybody can. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I would watch that movie, mostly because I'm yeah. curious about what Big Tabak looks like naked. <laughs> <laughs> That's the European theatrical yeah, just, cut. A, just a curiosity. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so... Uh, my movie stars Mark Harmon, because all movies should star Mark Harmon. And it's actually about a doctor. Like, l- like let's say it's like around the time he did St. Elsewhere. So he, everybody was picturing him as that doctor. And, and he goes, he, he has a sister who d- went to a tropical island but disappeared. And he goes to find her only to uncover a tribe of cannibals. They're the skin. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> would be the shirt. He'd actually be the suit, but since it's not called suits and skins, I can't. Um, uh, shirts and skins work too. You know, I'd watch yours. <laughs> I'm kind of into it. It would be like an Italian cannibal movie, but without any of the gore or sex mm. or nudity or violence. So I think Priscilla Barnes will play his missing sister, and we'll see her in flashbacks. And oh. um, you know what? Let's make it a Vic Tabak twofer. I think he should be the the cannibal <laughs> tour guide, like the guy who's been living on the islands. Oh, sure, yeah. Who, like, knows the secret about the cannibals and who guides uh, Mark Harmon back to his sister. Actually, I think I picked Priscilla Barnes because she's in Vacation in Hell, and that's kind of on a tropical island with a maybe cannibal. So maybe that's why that popped in my head. And you know what? Somebody has sex with Barbara Feldon. <laughs> what not? <laughs> not one of the not one of the cannibals? or, or uh... no, I'm thinking Mark Harmon or Vic Tabak. Mark Harmon, okay. Yeah. okay. Preferably Mark Harmon. Okay. Yeah. I... I, I think I think both of those work. I I actually came up with my own idea for what I think it is, but I'll tell you that later. I have, to say, I have heard of this movie, but I'm not exactly sure. I remember the exact synopsis, but I've been wanting to see it for quite some time. Well, let me let me give you the uh, the skinny on it. Shirts and skins. Uh, let's uh, let's see. It is uh, October ninth, nineteen seventy three. Ninety minute movie starring Rene Arbogenois, Bill Bixby, Leonard Fry, and Vic Tabak. Um, it, no, I'm kidding. Oh. It's it's actually it's actually Doug McClure, oh. <laughs> Vic Tabak, oh, no. and it is. Oh, let me just scan the rest of the cast. See if anyone else. Jessica Raines. Mm, I know Christina Raines. Oh, I thought that's who, that's who I was thinking. Oh, Ron Glass. Oh, I love Ron Glass. Loretta Swit. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Oh, and McLean yeah, Stevenson. Oh wow, there are a lot of people. McLean Stevenson and Loretta Swit. That's like Mash, right? Yes. Uh, this would have been around the time of the beginning oh, of the second crazy. season of Mash. So, so yeah. Colonel Blake. They did it in the summer summer and break. Hot probably. Lips got together and made a TV movie. This this I like the synopsis quite a bit. A sardonic comedy about six businessmen who find their zest for life rekindled when a simple bet after their weekly basketball game turns into a wait for it. Zany anything goes hide and seek contest. Ooh, that sounds <laughs> that's fun. Pretty, 
That does. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think I remembered I the businessman part, but not anything else about it. Yeah, so that's what it actually is. Now, what what do we think of the three? Uh, well, that one sounds really. The reality sounds good. The reality. No, I'm going. Does, I'm going with Amanda's. Oh. Uh, I really kind of like yours too, Amanda. Only because I, I said cannibal. Yeah, that's true. And it's TV movie, so there's no animal killing in it. Oh no, that's my no, favorite part not. of this. I'm kidding. I'm you kidding. You have a bad reputation because didn't you say something about doing something to your cat? Did I? Episode? <laughs> I think you did jokingly. And oh no. Oh no! Did we get? Did I get taken to task? I think maybe like we'll start getting some hate mail. I think I think we'll go for yours, Amanda. Um, I uh, I think with uh, the combination of Vic Tayback, someone having sex with Barbara Feldon <laughs> and cannibals and Mark Harmon, I think that'll work for me. I think that'll work. That's a solid night of television. Now I'm curious if there yeah. are any cannibal TV movies. I'm not aware of any. Not that I know of. I mean, I was surprised when I found a ninja one when I was writing my action film book. Oh, is so. that Samurai with Joe Penny? Oh, it's the last ninja. Oh. Hmm. I only know – well, I guess Samurai isn't a ninja. Never mind. Um, I think we talked about this, but there – you know that TV show Masquerade? Oh, I love, I love yeah, Masquerade. So I'm not sure Nate's ever seen it, but it's a TV show that starred Rod Taylor, right? About, and he yes, was, Greg Evigan. He yeah, he's Mr. Lavender, and Greg Evigan and Kirstie Alley are sort of – they work for the government. And what they do is that they enlist regular people to do kind of extraordinary jobs. So they find people who have, like, really interesting talents, and then they bring them in on these, like – espionage cases and stuff so it's like real people doing like espionage you know everyday people so there's this one episode and i can't remember where they are but there's ninjas in it and steve garvey's in the episode oh. and they oh, one yeah. of them says hey then so-and-so ninja is going to really like the steve garvey's here like they're fans of steve garvey the ninja <laughs> and then at another point one of the ninjas has to back out because he has food poisoning and i was like did the ninja call out sick because <laughs> i've never heard of that I've never heard of that either. Master Ninja too. I mean, those aren't TV movies per se, but they were made into feature. They were, yeah, they were. They were put together into them, yeah. So, yeah, yeah Masquerade is great. But, you know, one day if we do a like a okay. TV pilot movie episode, the Masquerade TV pilot is really it's good. It's also good for eventually Super Train. Just keep that in mind. Oh yeah, oh Your yeah, podcast, that's true. Yeah. Which is about short-lived TV series for those who haven't mm-hmm. heard it yet. It's great. Yes, yes. Thank yeah. you, thank you. It, uh, oh, uh, yeah, Mas- Masquerade is, what did they call it, Love Boat Meets, like Mission Impossible or something like that? I don't remember, but I know that they had an Apple that was like a phone. Or yeah, Apple there's an Apple phones, phone. Right? It's kind of funny that they pre- sort of predicted Apple in a very roundabout metaphorical way. But um, anyway, uh, so speaking of Kirstie Alley, we're going to be talking about actresses. <laughs> and so I just wanted to preface uh, preface this conversation with some quotes I found. So it's interesting. Um, I think it's not a big secret that TV movies are very female centric. I wrote an article years ago called Small Screen Screen Queens for of the 1970s, and I've been wanting to update it. It took me three years to write that piece because uh, I, I was first really getting into TV movies again. So I had I was going to just do the top 10. But the more I started looking into it, the more I saw how many women were making TV movies just in the 70s. I mean, it got bigger and bigger by the time Lifetime became like a place for original telefilms. So uh, I don't think that anybody doesn't think it's not female-centric, but it's in a way, and I made some notes about it, it's a little subversive when you think about it because I think for years and years and years, movies were really about kind of white men doing things. And there were women in the movies and there were great characters in the film, but there wasn't necessarily a lot of female-centered films unless they were called chick flicks or something like that. Like a guy's in a movie, it's a drama or an action film. A girl's in it and it's a chick flick, right? Television became a space for a lot of actresses to play a variety of characters. It became a place, like we talked about on our TV movie actor episode, for people like Andy Griffith and uh, Robert Reed to move away from their image 
uh, from their television series. So there was a lot of opportunity for women, and some people have actually written some really interesting stuff about it. So I just want to read a few quotes. In Seeing Through the 80s by Jane Fuhrer, the author writes that the audience for made-for-television television movies was distinctly female. Feminism, domestic issues, vigilante moms, she writes in quotes, and other female-centric stories gave actresses a space to carry a film as compared to the fairly male-dominated theatrical releases. In an article called The Regrettable demise of the made-for-TV movie, Matt Brennan of TheWeek.com writes, TV movies have long offered a relatively prominent platform for women, people of color, and LGBT people. They make way for voices, subjects, and styles too often excluded from the airwaves. Um, Elaine Rappling, who is a cultural theorist, she wrote an entire book about the movie of the week. It's like half theory, half applying the theory. It's pretty interesting. And she wrote, female perspectives are treated differently on television than in theatricals. It suggests that women are sophisticated viewers. And television embrace portrayals of women as strong and independent, sisterly and supportive of each other, and can deliver powerful messages to millions of women who watch telephones and satisfy emotional needs. So I added to that, that TV movies are a bit of a refuge for actresses and that it offered a lot of diversity in terms of situations central to women, mostly with family, although career-driven women and those who, quote, wanted it all were all portrayed at some length. It also saw the women as heroes in many films, which, as I said earlier, can be seen as subversive, at least subversive in terms of how... Uh, we watch theatricals. So I'm half not surprised by the response we got, but oh my God, we got so much amazing response. So I'm just going to start with some listener feedback. Feedback time. Yeah. Oh, yes. I just wanted to play that. Okay. So nice. Annette Sal, who you can find on Twitter at BadChopSuey2, wrote Elizabeth Montgomery Forever. And Chris Schultz, and I didn't write down his Twitter name, I can't remember what it is, um, wrote, Elizabeth Montgomery, Does She Count? Which is hilarious. Chris is a friend of ours that we do podcasts with, and he knows nothing about TV movies. I think in the actor category, he was, like, naming, like, theatrical actors. And we're like, no, not actors from movie and TV. <laughs> TV movie <laughs> actors. But I think you got to write this time. Elizabeth Montgomery is probably the most famous actress uh, in the TV movie genre, at least of the 70s. I think uh, in the 90s and later, we got a lot of interesting females that I don't know that they've eclipsed her per se, but I think that they're as well known for their TV movies. She's a really interesting. She's like Robert Reed and uh, Andy Griffith in that um, she used TV movies to really like explore things that were so far removed from Bewitched. It was ridiculous. The Legend of Lizzie Borden is obviously her most famous film. Um, it's a classic. It is still today considered one of the best made for TV movies of all time. Um, rightly so. It's amazing. Um, we should probably mention Catherine Hellman is in it. She's amazing as well. It's just a really great film. There's been a lot of feminist theory about it. It's lasted through the years because it means more than what it is. And also because I think the mystery of Lizzie Borden has been, you know, built up for so long. But the way Elizabeth Montgomery plays that character, it's so, I don't know how well you guys remember the movie, but it's so calculated and cold and like the famous scene where she has the flashback of what she may have done where she walks to the house nude. Do you remember this? And she starts killing her parents. It just, she's so like just detached, you know, it's just, it's a really amazing yeah. chilling performance through and through. And it, and it ends on such a question mark, you know? So if you saw it at the right age, it really influenced people. I think if we all have a movie to recommend of Elizabeth Montgomery, it could be Lizzie Borden, but I decided to go with the movie called between the darkness and the dawn, which was a later career film for her. Uh, made in the 90s. It's kind of a silly story, and I think it's a testament 
to how good of an actress she was that she pulled it off. And I feel like it's loosely based on a true story, but it's about this girl who's in high school and she's got this perfect life, perfect boyfriend, and she she falls into a coma and she wakes up like 30 years later and the whole world has moved on without her. And she wakes up as Elizabeth Montgomery and her boyfriend has actually married her sister and she has to go back to school and she has to rebuild her life and everything is changed. Not only has everything changed, but she's like 47, right? And, um, and so she has to adapt to this world that just moved on without her. And it's a really good movie. I've seen it so many times. I've seen it so many times. I love it. Got this really great romance with her and James Naughton, who's like the high school coach, because she goes back to high school. And of course, he's there and he's so hot. And he was there when she was 17, but like he was 21, which seems so taboo when you're 17. But now he's only like 51. You know what I mean? It's amazing. So uh, that would be my pick. Uh, do you have a pick, Dan? I was – well, my first thought was Lizzie Borden, but I'll go with The Victim. Oh, great movie. Yeah. Which she which – she, now, I haven't seen The Victim. I saw The Victim probably about a year and a half ago, right. and I, I loved it. She made it right after Bewitched End, after, yes. uh, ended, it after like eight years of Bewitched. or something, right? It's 72. I think it's um, – give have me one that, moment. Actually, you might have said that. November 72 is when it came out. So, and Bewitched ended in April or May wow. of 72. And she plays yeah, a woman in a big house. Uh sister's been killed, there's a killer and it's crazy. And it's 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 one of those wonderful movies that um you don't ex- I I've said this before talking about TV movies. You don't expect it from TV movies. It's like it's very creepy and it's very well it's done a, and it's very and she's fantastic. It's a slow burn. And you know what? I think that that's such a good pick because it shows how determined she was from a very early stage after Bewitched to start to move away from Bewitched. You know what I mean? Like it showed that she was really ready to spread her wings like instantly. Yeah, and it was it was funny like Bewitched. I I haven't watched Bewitched in ages. I do remember enjoying it. It's good. It's very good. But I know that Bewitched was I, I want to say got nom- nominated a lot of Emmy nominations, and at its height it was like number two or something sure. like that. So it, it it was pretty darn big. I mean, to take another uh, show that didn't never got any nominations, Green Acres. I knew never it was that. I knew Sorry. it was <laughs> Sorry. But, but you know, that's so interesting Bewitched. that you brought that up because so I believe, I think I got the number right. Elizabeth Montgomery was nominated for nine Emmys, I think, for her TV movie work and never won one. And, wow. and now it might have been part of that might have been Bewitched, but I know she's been nominated nine times. I'm pretty sure of that. And that, to me is just cruel and wrong. Yeah. Somebody needs to, I don't even know why she doesn't, I don't think she's even gotten like a lifetime achievement award. Like Robert Foxworth, her uh, boyfriend at the time when she passed away, long-term boyfriend. Really? Yes. He's still around. Can't we bring him on? And by the way, do you know who Robert Foxworth's daughter-in-law is? Um, like Nate might appreciate this. Uh, no, I don't, um, I don't know. That really obnoxious girl from Halloween five that looks like Demi Moore. Nate, you know what I'm talking about? Who's the girl in Halloween 5 that you guys love? Um, Tina, but yes, I don't remember her real name. <laughs> yeah, her. She is Robert Foxworth's uh, daughter-in-law. Wow. Yeah, yeah, just a piece of trivia. But anyway, um, I feel like, I don't feel like that she ever, even after her death, people have really come to give her what's due to her. Uh-huh. She infuriates me because she's amazing. Yeah. Nate, did you? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. I'm Go sorry. ahead, Dan. Oh, I was just going to say, like when they didn't give Susan Lucci Emmys for years, it, it, that became that became that became funny. But come on, Elizabeth Montgomery. Well, also, also a- Susan Lucci finally got an Emmy and was alive to accept that's, it. Yes. Yes. So that's it. Just seems cruel to me and wrong. I think Wendy Kaplan is the name of the uh, the actress, or Wendy Foxworth. Oh, uh, yeah, that might be it. Uh, Nate, do you have a recommendation? Uh, Dan has <laughs> my pick. You know what? When he said, oh, oh, I bet Nate was going to recommend that. 
So what do you um, like about the victim? I love the atmosphere. It's a very dark and stormy film. Yes. And mm. I really love when we get the first glimpse of the body. Oh, where the body like, is. Yeah, that was really creepy. In a box or something, right? Like a wood. Yeah, it's like in the it's it's like in the basement, I, yeah. I believe. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. Um yep. And no, I thought that was great. And um, I love Elizabeth Montgomery in the film because I'd been so used to seeing her in Bewitched. It was nice to see her in a movie like this. Uh, my mm-hmm. only complaint about the movie, to be honest, is I felt the ending was maybe a little, a little anticlimactic. Yeah, it doesn't really like. I mean, it was over so fast. I, I was thinking, oh, was that the ending? I don't understand. But I will say, it's worth watching because the build-up to that ending is totally worth, you know, the ending being a little anticlimactic. Oh, yes. right. The build-up is oh, absolutely yeah. worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being kind of like the end-end is super quick. Like, when the killer's kind of revealed and something happens, and it's just like, what? And Yeah, the, it's like over before you know it. Yeah, there's a movie called The Psychic. It's a TV movie with Zach Galligan. It was made for USA, and I, I re-reviewed it a couple years ago because I did this U, this retrospective on the USA original film with Daily Grindhouse. We did it together. What I remembered about that movie was the ending was so quick that it really frustrated me, so I rewatched it. It turns out it's a really good movie, but when that ending came again, I was like, oh, that's aggravating me. Now, that ending <laughs> actually lasts much longer than the ending of The Victim, but I remember that thinking was like, crash, bam, boom, and then it was like, what? You know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I wonder if there, I wonder if there was a, a commercial break or something right in there that would have expanded it for someone watching it at that yeah, time no, where it wouldn't have seen as like maybe a reveal, a commercial, and then the ending sort of thing. So maybe, it maybe may have been yeah. Felt long. I don't know. I'm. I'm We're just trying to make excuses for the ending of that. Yes. Uh, We also heard from somebody, and I'm going to mispronounce a lot of names, so please forgive me. Her name is Susan Quiris, I think. She wrote, I love Lee Grant, Joan Hackett, Stephanie Powers, and Jane Seymour. She really hit the top four right there. We can end the show right now. I think she really, like, she did it. We're done. Um, Yeah, those are all great actresses. We're all going to be, like, throwing out different recommendations for you on those. Of course, she's probably seen all those for everybody. There's so many good movies. I I don't even know if I could, like, start to even think about, especially Stephanie Powers. I just love her. But, um, so now we're going to go ahead and start with our picks um i have you up here first dan are you ready to go oh yes oh yeah please uh here we go i'm sorry i'm uh, i'm cueing myself <clears throat> i've chosen for my uh favorite tv movie actress uh and this is in one respect this is an obvious pick but in in another respect maybe it isn't and that is uh uh ms uh linda day george linda Yay. day yeah, uh, she was in a slew of TV movies. I just lo- looked at her career. She started off modeling, of course, and she be- she began in the early '60s, appearing in a lot, a lot of television. In fact, she appeared in a lot of television. She was in uh, Route 66. She was in Flipper. She was in uh, one of my favorite shows, uh, The Virginian. Oh, she was sure. in The Fugitive. She was in a ton of stuff, and she. Uh, her her first sort of TV movies. Uh, the, well, the first one was something called The Sound of Anger. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I watched a chunk of it. It's actually the pilot movie for the lawyers portion of the television show The Bold Ones with Burl Ives oh. and James Fertino and Guy Stockwell. Yeah, I have a clip of that if you want to listen to it. Oh yes, please. Uh, are you here to question me? In a way. We didn't do it. That old coot lie, he never saw us coming from the plane. We were... Barbara, you're not in front of a jury now. We want you to speak freely to us. And you have to understand that anything you tell us, we're forbidden by law to reveal. Unless you... I know all that. 
We didn't kill my dad. I mean, what kind of people do you think we are? Look, I know that we have to tell you the truth. Otherwise, you can't do your best job. And that is the truth. We didn't kill him. I adore her. Just even hearing I her know, voice. I know, I do too. She's... She, she's fantastic. Uh, right after that, she was in a movie I haven't seen, but I've been trying to find Fear No Evil. Oh, yeah, that's a great film. Which Oh, you've, I've seen um, the sequel. Is it uh, yeah, Fear I haven't. Ritual, Ritual of Evil is the sequel. Ritual of Evil. Fear no, <laughs> uh, Ritual of Evil. I've seen that one. I haven't seen Fear No Evil. Uh, then after that was House on Green Apple Road, where she has the brief scene where her... Um, her about-to-be husband, Christopher George, uh, interrogates her. That's the one, if you remember, the scene where she uh, turns out she just she just gets high all the time when she's at work. Friday. I brought my lunch. Where'd you eat it? There's a little park about a block from the office. When you got back to the office, you were as high as a kite. I did my work. Well, you don't remember anything. Do you turn on every day, Miss Green? That... It's my business. Not anymore, it isn't. Mr. Thomas would be interested in knowing he has a pothead sitting outside his office. Come on now, I'll lose my job. And Mr. Thomas knows my folks. He'll tell him. Well, I guess that's your problem. I love that scene because when she says her folks and it's like, wow, you're 30, move out of the house, Linda. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you got a pothead in, in your office. Uh, then she was, she was actually, she appeared on the TV show, The Immortal, which Christopher George yes. was on, the, the yes. short the TV show. She was in the uh, canon uh, TV movie that became this TV series. Uh, she was right around here. She did a two season stint on Mission Impossible and she was nominated for Gold Globe. She yes, was right. nominated for an Emmy. Uh, I am Mission Impossible. That TV show drives me nuts when I watch it because it's so tense from moment one <laughs> to it, it ends. I need to take little breaks throughout it and, and little I need to take my nitro pills to calm yeah. myself down. So I'm only about halfway through season one. I'm nowhere near her stuff. But if if she got nominated, then she's 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 doing uh, great, I would think. And all the pictures I see of her from that, she's gorgeous. So, you know, forgive me on that. But she, in 1973, she's in a movie called She Cried Murder. That's a great one. Which is with her and Telly Savalas and um, oh, it's a Mike, BJ Mike Honeycutt. Farrell, right? Yes, yeah. Mike Farrell. Uh, then throughout the, oh, she was on a wild world, wide world of mystery. Yeah, Beautiful Murder. Episode. Beautiful oh, killing. killing. I'm dying to I find that Christopher George is in it. Oh my gosh, I didn't that's know. A okay, TV I guide ad for it that's been floating around online that you can look at. Yeah, and she was also in an episode of Thriller, which I haven't seen too. Which I yeah, Christopher George come is in out, one of those as well. Come out, come out wherever you are. She's on Panic in the Five Twenty Two, which is I think it's a bunch of people on a train panicking, and there's a bunch of jerks on the train trying to kill them, and they have to figure out how to stop them. Oh, she and she's in, and I oh Warner Archive Instant took this off. Death Among Friends. I know you've yeah, seen Yeah, I reviewed it uh, for uh, my blog. I don't remember her having a huge part in it, but it's a mm -hmm. very good film. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. She kind of facilitated a lot between starring and stuff and being... She did. You know, supporting uh, character. And that's really... that's That says a lot about an actor's ego to me. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I, I agree. That's one of the reasons why I picked her, because when you look at her career, you know, she begins and she was she begins on, on TV in the early 60s. In mid 60s, she was doing a show on Broadway, The Devils. 
and she was just doing a lot of random, almost character character actress parts. And and then occasionally she she you know she'd get on Mission Impossible, she'd get a lead in a TV movie, that kind of thing. And but a lot of her stuff was sort of like when she played what was it Fausta, the Nazi Wonder Woman. Oh, that's right. That's a famous episode in Wonder Woman. And um and like she actually yesterday I watched May Day at forty thousand feet with Christopher George. George. Yeah, they were And that's actually a really great cast in that one. And the funny thing about that uh, that movie is that she plays a character named Kathy, a stewardess, who is very on top of things. She's very very level-headed, even when Marjo Gartner is being horrifically racist. Wow, is this, a, is this a reprisal from Earthquake? It, yeah, it's it, it, it literally, there's a moment in it where um, yeah, a guy is, is, is covering him with a gun because Marjo Gartner's crazy, and he's going to go nuts, and the Marjo lets out a uh, couple of choice words that I thought, really? In like 1976, 77, then I thought, well, I guess the Jeffersons and stuff and all in the family would say these words. But it was crazy to hear. But Linda Day doesn't say words like that because Linda Day is a nice lady. This, um, the great thing about May Day at 40,000 feet, apart from uh, David Jansen oh, and love him. Uh, as the pilot, Christopher George is the co-pilot. And I forget, he was a football player, I think, oh, with the Navigator. Oh, my God. Don Meredith? Don Meredith, yes, yes. Ray Milland is oh, in it. And Ray Milland has a scene where he yells at and is calmed down by Linda Day George. And earlier in the movie, he has a scene where he yells at and is sort of shunted off to one side by Al Molinero. So how many movies can you say Al Molinero, Linda Day George went toe-to-toe with Ray Milland? I think three. maybe just this one. Three. <laughs> <laughs> three, three movies and the other two will be revealed. Later on, and so she was in. Uh, she was in Murder at the World Series, which I tried to see, but I only got to catch like fifteen That's minutes of it. I didn't actually. Goody, isn't it? Well, I'm Mark sorry. Harmon. I believe yeah, so. I, so. I believe so. I, I, um, she was in the Amazing Captain Nemo, which I've never seen, but I think is more like a miniseries kind of thing than a TV movie. She was in, of course, Cruising to Terror. Love yes. uh, you, Brian. She was in a movie called Casino, which I think is an Aaron Spelling thing. And of course, she was in the movie Ants. And I don't, and I, I don't mean to pitch someone else's podcast, but a few weeks ago, I was on uh, the Film and Water podcast hosted by uh, a pal, Rob Kelly, and we spent about forty minutes discussing Ants and Linda Day George. Only forty. I, I would have gone longer, but Rob, Rob has a thing where he'll, he'll, he'll stop me after a while and go, "Ooh, we've been talking for a while about this, Dan." And I'll be like, "Yes, I'm sorry." But uh, then after. Um, uh, after the the 80s began, of course, she was in Pieces, which we all love. <laughs> oh, oh I mean, just amazing! Um, I, I was expecting that. That noise. I was so excited that you mentioned it because I was worried. I was like, "Well, we'll probably stick to TV movies," but I can't help it. I'm going to mention Pieces if Dan doesn't, because it <laughs> has to be brought up. So I'm very excited that you did. You oh, know, well, please, I. What's your favorite thing about pieces overall, Nate? If you have pick one or two things, like the movie uh, do you mean like scenes or scenes or moments or th- okay. just things? Um, what think pieces? Okay, what what I really like as far as Linda Day is concerned is obviously she says "bastard" three times, and yes. that's an incredible scene. It's Oscar worthy. Um, and I also really love the part where she gets into a fight with the uh, kung fu teacher who ate bad chop suey. Oh, that's right. 
Bad Chop Suey. And we had someone earlier on left some feedback, and their name was Bad yep. Chop Suey. Pieces, all, pieces yeah, I, pervades. Piece, pieces was the first time I ever saw her because I, I first I think I rented that after a long night out with pals at the sort of my end of my high school years and I rented pieces we didn't get a chance to watch it so I took it home and it was maybe two in the morning I put it on and it's the it's so crazy if, if folks listening it's it's obviously it's beyond the sort of thing that a TV movie okay. is, but it's freaking and it, well it has Christopher George and it has Linda Day George in it. So if you want to see the kind of things they did, they were also in Chisholm, the John Wayne film. So, you know, they, they didn't just do wonderful trash. And she, they were also in Mortuary. Yeah, which I love. Which I own on Blu-ray, and I'm not sure why, because it's not one of my favorites. Oh, my God, you have it on Blu-ray. I just have the VHS I, of it. I do. Come on over, I man. Might. Bring, bring David on over. We'll, uh, we'll, have, a, we'll have an evening of... Uh, of a of a mortuary and we'll discuss the georges and uh so mortuary she was also in young warriors the uh, lawrence folds film she was in an episode of masquerade yes and and then sort of as the 80s went along after she was in black's magic yes, she That's was. Right, yeah and after after christopher george died she sort of began to kind of slow it down yeah. a touch. She did play Dr. Carla Frankenstein on an episode of Fantasy Island, and but by the end of the 80s, she had kind of stopped. And she remarried around 1990, and I think she more or less retired. She, she married Christopher George's friend. Yes, a friend of She's Christopher George's. She's a doctor, George's I think, right? I, I want to say, I, I could have sworn an interview I read with her from a couple of years ago, it had something to do with aerospace right. engineering. So maybe he's an engineer or, or some sort of doctor of aerospace. Is that something know. that he is? It does now. The reason why I like Linda Day is because, uh, as as you said, Amanda, she she has some parts like she cried murder, where she's right up there in the front, and uh, but then a lot of times she's very much uh, a supporting character. Sure. She's she, she's like a she's like an anchor. It's like if you see her, you're like, oh okay, the casting department chose her, so this will be this will be a good time. She's in a great episode of uh, one of my favorite series, the Ellery Queen mm-hmm. Mysteries. Yes. Uh, she plays, uh, I got it written down here, Alma Van Dyne in The Adventure of the Comic Book Crusader. Uh, she is the secretary to the rather lascivious Tom Bosley, who, uh, who, who, runs a, who runs a comic, uh, a bunch of, he publishes, he's a comic book publisher. And this is around the time they're cracking down on superheroes and horror comics and things like that. And she plays kind of the slightly ditzy chomping on a piece of gum all the time kind of gal and she's 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 just wonderful she's someone she's clearly she's clearly beautiful but she, she's also a very good actress yeah. but she also has kind of a slight oddness to her that i really like it's like there there are those times where like during may day at however many feet they were at forty thousand, there are some of the lines she sort of delivers out of the side of her mouth it's like her 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 lips kind of slide to one side. And she delivers. It's all that pot she, just, she smoked in the house. <laughs> possibly, she she just has a way about her that is is um, she can be sort of um, love very lovely, and she can be sort of brass and sassy and just kind of like a regular gal. Also, she's she's so charming. Like like I guess like the way Christopher is in a bit, but Christopher is a little more. Hey, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, he, he didn't really break from that, did he? Not, not really. Not that I know of. She, she had more of a range there, and I just, I, I just lo- love the fact that when I was trying to pick an actress, it was very tough. When I was trying to pick an actress, I was looking at all these movie titles, and I was like, oh, I like that movie. Oh yeah, Linda Day George is in that. 
Oh, she's in this one. Oh, let me watch She Cried Murder again. Okay. You go up against Telly Savalas and you win. You're on. He's my second favorite Greek <laughs> in uh, TV in the 1970s. I'm, I'm a huge fan of hers. And I would say her, my favorite TV movie of hers, or the one to watch, is She Cried Murder, I think, because she gets the most. I haven't seen Murder at the World Series, where she might get a ton of time in that. I'm not sure. But She Cried Murder is the one to go for because she's very good in it. She plays a model who sees a, a someone pushed in front of a subway train and that someone who pushes the person seems to be Telly Savalas. And this is not ruining anything because this is the first 10 minutes of the movie and this is in every single synopsis. She calls the police. She's on a, a set. She Well, she's she they're doing a shoot and she calls the police. The police show up and it's Mike Farrell and Telly Savalas. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. That's really very good. And that's the one uh, you, you get to see her just being really cool. There's a sequence where he kidnaps her son and they're in an old abandoned theater and she's like hiding in the rafters as he's like holding uh, holding tight onto her son and yelling at her from the stage, which is really wonderful. Yeah, it's it's, it's just, a solid little movie. It's it's a There's it, not a lot of dialogue. It's really just a chase film for like. 50 minutes less, of the yeah. 74 minute running time, but it's like, yeah. it's, it's all about her wits, you yes. know, and like staying one step ahead of telly. And, um, and I think it's, I think it's very, uh, it's a very strong role, even though there's not a lot of dialogue because the opening, she's a widow and they're, and they're, and it's Mrs. R, you know, that death among friends movie It's called Mrs. R. Yeah. Death, well, the woman who played the lead in that with Linda day, George plays that character, the mother-in-law or the mother, whoever's at the boat when she sees Telly Savalas. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Actor. I oh, can't yeah. remember her name now. Oh, Kate okay. something, and um, and then they play, they play everything off like, oh, she's you know she lost her husband. She's just hysterical, and they make it uh-huh. like she's like nothing. She can't be trusted because she went through this horrible traumatic thing, so she must not be reliable. And she turns out to be the most reliable person in the film. Yes, you know? and the, the the joy of it is that you think that Mike Farrell being Telly Savalas's partner, and there's a team we should have seen more from, huh? Mike Farrell and Telly Savalas is two cops. I love him. Um, uh, but the the joy of it is that when it's kind of when the cops kind of discover that she she basically reports Telly kidnaps the son and then she reports him to the police and they're like what Telly Savalas that's not the character's name Telly what I got the character's name right here no I don't. I was going to say the page in the Merrill book that has shirt and skins also has she cried murder on it, but I flipped away from it to check something on the victim. So sorry, everyone, but uh, Telly Savalas, he's a great cop, that kind of thing. But when they begin to investigate the person who got killed, it's very nice because when, when Mike Farrell's character begins to discover that it could be Telly Savalas, he doesn't sort of do a, no, this has got to be wrong. She's got to be wrong. He, he, he goes, he, he looks into it yes, he does. and he investigates it. If you're, if you're looking around, if you're out in the world and you think, I want to watch a good movie, you see the title, She Cried Murder, you may not think this is a great one to go for. But that's the joy of TV movies is these titles, they fool Love you. The title. They're great. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good title. I mean, it's, it's, it's semi-generic, but, sure. but it's a decent title, I think. But uh, so, yeah, Linda Day George, I just, I just think she's fantastic. And I, I might skip ahead five seasons of Mission Impossible just to watch her. I would. Uh, me too. Yeah, I think it's time. I think it's time. So, you guys, what, do you have a favorite? Uh, Nate, 
Linda Day George, apart from pieces. My favorite is It Happened at Lakewood Manor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A.K.A. Ants! Exclamation point. That's right. Um, exclamation point. It belongs. It belongs. Uh, it's got the power of Foxworth. Yes, Robert, Robert Foxyworth is what I like to call him. By the way, <laughs> I, I'm just to get off topic for two seconds, but his ass in ants, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, it's it's a great movie. I mean, I absolutely think it's one of my favorite made-for-TV movies. Oh, yeah. I watched it again recently, and I mean, it's I I mean I I really get a kick out of the ending where the, you know they're rescuing them with the helicopter and everything, and of course all the people on the sidelines are cheering and they're all so happy, and then they stir up the dust, and the next thing you know, all these people on the sidelines are being attacked by the ants thanks to the helicopter, and then one guy grabs the fire hose and just starts hosing them all down. They deserved it though. But you, you know, I I. I... I mentioned this on the, the Film and Water podcast, but the guy who grabs the, the, the crowd that gets covered in ants is just is, is a group of white people. And the guy who grabs the hose, pressure hose, and sprays them is Bernie Casey. The hero. Yes. And so it's very much like a feeling like Bernie Casey's sitting there reading the script going, wait a minute. I get to pick up a pressure hose and spray two dozen white people? And- yes. And- yes. Long- but, you know, they were annoying me. So And also, so like... So, like, the whole thing is that these ants are special ants that have come up from being buried and eating toxins in the earth, which I buy. I totally buy the premise of this because we totally have destroyed the earth, right? So, like, they've been in the underground eating all this crap that we've been giving to the earth because we bury everything, like our toxic waste. And they come out, and they're trying to get rid of them because they're attacking everybody's hotel. They're killing people, basically, even though they're not aggressive. And then they get sprayed out, and then at the end, they act like there's no ants left. But it's like you just sprayed a gazillion of them out, and there's no guarantee you got them all when you yeah. sprayed the uh, the spectators. Yeah, there is a they, – they say something along the lines of uh, it was like one colony, and we destroyed it. So that's the end or something like that. <laughs> like it's, no, I don't think so. There needs to be ants, too. This time it's personal. Oh, it's personal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Nothing to, it's to electric boogaloo. Yeah, I'll be there. So, yeah, I really like ants as well. I think it's I think there's some really good stunt work in there. When that girl is hanging yeah. from the fire ladder. Oh, that's a great scene. Oh, my God. That's so good because it's actually suspenseful, yeah. you know. And um, and then when, uh oh, speaking of hot guys, Barry Van Dyke is also in uh, ants. God, everybody is in that movie. So um, when he falls off the whatever fourth floor and he lands on the awning, I mean, that's a pretty good uh, stunt. Yeah. Yeah, There's there's some really nice stunt work in there. And also there's like a gazillion romances in that movie. Like even the girl that plays the like building inspector, the construction inspector, she has like Mm -hmm. chemistry with like the ant expert. I don't know if any of you noticed that. Yeah. They watch ants killing things together. Yes. And they seem like they're kind of into it. Yeah. Like everything is about love. It, if if you watch it, one of the interesting things is the movie introduces its characters almost in couples. So it's like Robert Foxworth and yeah, Linda Day true. George, and then and then the lifeguard and the hippie gal, and then the etymologist and the and the building inspector lady, and it introduces them in couples. And then the so, one girl's getting divorced, but she's with her son. Yeah, and Suzanne Summers. Oh, and, I love that guy. That wasn't Harry Darrow, was it? Henry Darrow is that his name? I don't I, I can look I it up. Know. I'm not it's sure. It's okay. You don't have to look it up. But um. But anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Nate. Sorry, Nate. I was just going to say, um, like the jerk guy, the one that jumps out the window because he can't. 
Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Oh. Told him that's Gerald Gordon. That's his name. Okay, and, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I quite like that scene as well, you know, because all you have to do is sit still, of course. You can't. And, you know, they're yes. they're uh, Linda Day George and Robert Foxworth. They're able to do it, but of course he's not. And you know, he is kind of a jerk. So, you know, of course he, you know, was meant to die in the film. I, I imagine it's he just missed that swimming pool. You know, it's spectacular. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna go out, go out that way in front yeah. of hundreds of people watching you. And trying to make it into a pool, but, you know, you're, you're a few feet short. You know, it's also really <laughs> freaky when Moosey Dreyer, who plays the little boy in it, um, is covered in ants. Remember, he falls into the dumpster? Yes. And he, he kind of whoosh. jumps into the pool, but he can't swim. But he does it because he's they're burning his skin. And, like, it, it's basically he's running around with coffee grounds on him. But it's such a great scene. And also, yeah. you don't see a lot of kids in these movies get attacked. Yeah. So there was something really, like, taboo about it. You know, it's a really solid little movie. I think. I think so too. It 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 moves really nicely, and and it uh, it it does its business and then goes. Yeah. And I, I I enjoy it. So and and Amanda. Oh, anything else on that, Nate? Oh no, that's it. All right, Amanda. What is your favorite Linda Day slash Linda Day George TV? I movie? picked Fear No Evil. Woo! Um, because I think it's an exceptional film. Now she doesn't star in it, but she's sort of the crux of it. So I'll just basic. I'll just give you a very basic synopsis. So it was based. They were going to make a TV series called Bedeviled, uh, where Louis Jordan played like an occult psychologist of some sort. Um, oh, that would have been the yeah. Best. And uh, and he would. It was basically kind of like the Norlis tapes or Kolchak, you know, where there's a lot of like not necessarily debunking, but trying to figure out what's happening. And so. I don't, can't remember how he gets involved. I feel like he's friends with Linda Day George, and Bradford Dillman is her fiance. And he buys this really weird mirror a couple of days before he dies. And I think they were going to get married like the next week or very soon after he buys the mirror. And so she keeps the mirror, but at night she goes to it, and Bradford Dillman beckons her to the. He's inside the mirror, calling to her, and it's very sexual. There, I, I can't even explain the scene. It, it would help if you saw the movie, but like. There's bloodletting. I mean, like, it's weird. And it's very erotic without anything that, that goes against being on television at the time. And wow. and she's very sexual in the role. And it's kind of jaw-dropping in the way they present it because it's very artistic. But it's also, like, it's it's basically she's in her core. It's just about having sex with Bradford Dillman. You know what I mean? She's so <laughs> drawn to him physically. That, uh-huh. like, it's like she can't deny herself, like, this thing in the mirror. And so uh, Louis Jordan has to save her from it. And it's it's so atmospheric. It's wonderful. It's creepy. Uh-huh. It was the first TV movie Billy Goldenberg did the score for. I think he might have done Duel. I know he did This House Possessed. Yeah. He might have done Legend of Lizzie Bourne, too. He has an extraordinary uh, filmography. But um, uh, so supposedly this movie is lost because there are no film reels left of it. But mm-hmm. it's around because I've seen it. Um, I don't know where I saw it, but I have seen it. So you can find it. And uh, But I don't know that there's an original print of it, maybe. That's what they mean? That's probably it, I, the, the negative. I Googled it, and somebody, I think, bought a, a 16 or 8 millimeter of it at a estate sale in 2009. So I think that it does exist. I just think it's become sort of this legendary film because it was so hard to find for so long. But um, it's a very early horror movie. It may have been the first or second movie that the networks were really trying horror daughter of the mind. I can't remember if that came out first or not, but they're both around the same time. And I'm not saying there weren't other horror movies in the sixties, but those are the two big ones. And I think those are the ones that kind of helped build 
the uh, horror genre for television in the 70s. Yeah, I'm, I'm dying to see that. I, I need to I need to find a copy it's of that. Pretty, it's pretty amazing. So that would be my recommendation. Yeah. She's just really good. And there's, you know, she's in a lot of movies where there's not a lot of dialogue on her part, but she makes the most of it. She's mm-hmm. a very visual actress, you know. She's really good at yeah. reacting and, and uh, expressing herself without words. And, and this yeah. is she does a lot in this film. Uh, she kind of, I feel like the film was made for the men, but she really takes hold of her character, and it's very memorable. Yeah, there, there's there is something about her that she, she's beautiful, but there's a, a like I said, a weirdness there that I, I really like. That's she I find gets very really weird and oh. fearfully. She does, she does, she does. <laughs> bastard. She doesn't do that, but it's oh. crazy. It's a crazy little film. I'm gonna hunt that down, and maybe maybe next time we meet, I'll have I'll have seen oh, good. it. Good, we can talk about it. I can make a comment on it. That'd be great. Yeah. So, well, maybe we should save it for a double feature. We could do a fear no evil, ritual of evil double feature. I've seen ritual of evil yet. Yeah. Yeah. So Wayne Davidson on my uh, Made for TV Mayhem uh, blog's Facebook page wrote Karen Black, of course. Although Kim Darby is an honorary mention. Uh, William Andrews wrote Kate Jackson, Shelley Hack, Jacqueline Smith. We got all the angels there. Donna Mills and Cheryl Ladd. Oh, there's the other angel. And my friend whose last name I've never said out loud, so forgive me if I mispronounce it. Her name is Carolyn Houshelter. And she wrote Tori, Tori, Tori. And my note to that was Donna Martin graduates. Donna Martin graduates. And uh, I also wrote Coed Call Girls, the best movie ever. <laughs> so that's my response. Tori Spelling, I think, is a great iconic presence of 90s TV movies. In 1996, she made three TV movies. Um, one of them had decoys in the title. I can't remember the exact title of it. The other ones were Coed Call Girl and the most famous film she ever made, which is Mother May I Sleep at Danger. Yeah. Not necessarily a huge fan of that one, to believe it or not. But Coed Call Girl, to me, is everything I love about the 90s. It, it, the, she's only upstaged by her lip liner. It's so <laughs> amazing. But she basically, she plays it. It's based on a true story. She plays a, a very kind of innocent uh, pre-med student who needs money for school. Oh, Deadly Pursuits is the movie I'm thinking of, not Decoys, um, is the third film she made. But um, she uh, is lured by, is her name Jerry Ryan from the Star Trek TV series? Um, and yes. he's like, oh, I do this stuff, but you don't have to sleep with the clients unless you want to, and you can make lots of money. And she's got this gorgeous pimp who, like, tells her how beautiful she is. And and before you know it, she's having sex with these guys for lots and lots of money. But then the guys turn out, like, they start off with, like, the really nice guys. And then it deteriorates, and then she starts, like, denying sex to people, and then she ends up, like, on Sunset Boulevard as, like, a two-bit whore, and she has to shoot her pimp to get out of her situation, which is amazing. Uh, It's an amazing scene. And then there's, like, a court hearing uh, about the assault. And uh, I love it. There's, like, a whole montage of her makeover. Because they put this horrible wig on her at the beginning, and then then she gets her regular hair, which is also its own uh, beast. Um... And it's like the, her transformation is amazing. Um, I think it's a great film. That would be the movie I would recommend. Uh, Nate, I know you're a Tory Spelling fan. Yeah, and you know the one that I'll recommend. Well, tell us why. Tell yeah. us what it is. Um, a Friend to Die For. And I think I picked it as one of my favorite you movies did. before. But, I mean, she's just really good in it. She's like the main cheerleader. But she plays it really, really well. And, yeah, she I mean, it's just, it's just a really good movie. It's a great film, and she's she's only in the first half of it because she's the victim, but she's the most memorable thing in that film. Oh, yes. I mean, absolutely. She's 
not even in like the last, I'd say, 30 minutes of the film. But, I mean, she's what we're always going to remember. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's so good. She's so scary in that film. She's like really intimidating. She's like every girl that I hated in high school. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like with that lip liner. Okay, she didn't have it in that. But yeah, it's a great film. Um, it's a, uh, Again, it's loosely based on a true story about uh, like a nerdy girl who wants to get in with the cool crowd, but the leader of the pack is really horrible. And then she's confronted with the leader of the pack kind of exposing her to, to um, not being as cool as she wants to be or whatever. And so she stabs the cheerleader and kills her. And then, um, and then she has to like sort of live with the guilt of it. And I think I said this in the first podcast as well, but I think in a way the film did a disservice to the actual victim because they made her so horrible in the movie that like people like kind of rooted for Kelly Martin's character who plays the girl who kills her. And like, you can go online and people are like, I knew that girl and I don't remember her being that mean. And so in a way they sort of like made the killer a victim, but it's super entertaining. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. So I think that's a good pick. Do you have anything else you want to say about it, Nate? No, probably not anything that um, they, they didn't hear me say first time. <laughs> first, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, everybody should listen to the first episode if you haven't, because Nate listened to his top three, and they're really good. We're, all our top threes are pretty interesting, I think. But we go in more depth in that film. So, Dan? I, I, I have not encountered much Tori Spelling, but I'm going to make <laughs> – I went through her movies, and I'm going to make a pick based on what I thought sounded very entertaining. So we're gear, we're getting towards the end of the year, and I'm going to choose 2012's The Mistletoe. It is a Christmas movie about a I, I think it's something to do with like a singer and her group of uh, vocalists. They audition for something, and Tori Spelling's group of vocalists win over this one gal's group. So they kind of have like a some kind of sing-off or something like that. I'm a, I'm a little vague on what it's actually about because I don't want to ruin it. Cause you I don't want to ruin Christmas. it for yourself because you haven't seen it. That's hilarious. But it's it's yeah, I have not seen it. So, but it's something it's something to do with. And apparently, one of the things about it is Tori Spelling is her character is apparently vastly less talented than the lead character. But Tori gets the job rather than the lead character. So the lead character goes after it, and they're trying to get this job. And it just, I read it and thought, okay, I'll watch that movie. If that's a Hallmark film, I'll watch it this Christmas. But really, I I haven't really seen any Tori Spelling TV movies. I chose that one because it's got a great title, and it's Christmassy, and I'll watch it. She did time. a later uh, 2005 movie called Hush that's really good that was made for Lifetime. And she also did one called Mind Over Murder, which is also 2005, where I think she's a cop that gets hit on the head, and she becomes a psychic. I, I, I saw that one. Yeah, I was going to mention that one. that one, but then, the, then I saw the mistletones and how yeah, she's not? she actually has a really interesting filmography. I mean, she's made some pretty good movies and um, she's been in some interesting films like House of Yes, I think she was in and Scream 2. Oh, yeah. Um, but her TV movies are going to outlive her forever. They're just they're so good. Yeah. Even the later ones are really good. Um, she's just she's just Aaron Spelling's daughter. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I, I will be the first to admit that my TV movie knowledge does have some gaps. Well, I, I think people prefer certain decades just because it's like when mm-hmm. they grew up, they're more nostalgic for the films of that era. So it's kind of mm-hmm. natural for, like, some people are really into the TV movies of the 80s or the 90s, and, and they are very specific decades. They're so different from each other that, you know, mm-hmm. I could see where, like, you tend to watch more of one type of, of film from an era than another era. You know what I mean? 
I, I, I end up probably watching more Aaron Spelling related films. Than yeah, Tori probably. Spelling. I would probably do that so. too, but I do really like Tori. Um, mm-hmm. And so now it's time for Nate's choice. Hey. Do you mind if I spoil it, Nate, by playing this clip? No, go ahead. So I've never had to deal with the dumb blonde category, just the, just the bitch category. That is the amazing Morgan Fairchild. Yay! Um, I mean, Morgan Fairchild's done a lot of TV work, you know, like for TV shows. You know, she was in Friends. You know, oh, she, I didn't know that. Yeah, she was. She played uh, Chandler's uh, mother in Friends, and Kathleen Turner was Chandler's dad. Oh, that's Friends. hilarious! Really? So he, it was Morgan Fairchild and Kathleen Turner as a couple. If you can imagine. Well, we've I think that's now. pretty awesome. <laughs> Um, but you know, she, uh, she's done a, you know, a lot of stuff on, on TV, but you know, of course, one of my favorite movies of hers was one of the first TV movies she did, which was the initiation of Sarah. Yes. I mean, she is just fantastic in that movie. She's like the main girl in that movie. You know, she's really like cruel and, um, you know, I mean, she, she just plays it extremely well. Yeah. Almost too well. Yes, exactly. It is almost too good <laughs> as 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 um as good as she plays that role. I'm gonna chalk it up to she is just a very very excellent actress. <laughs> I think for years I thought she must be not nice, which she's completely nice as far as I can tell. But like, um, she's so good. Like, you know, do you remember her in Mork and Mindy? No, not really. She's she plays like a really narcissistic character in that. And so my early exposure to her was like just very self-absorbed characters. And she's so good at those roles. Plus, she looks like that, that you think, oh, my God, she just must be the most superficial creature on the planet. You know what I mean? And and I think in a way it typecast her, but she camped it up. You know what I mean? Like she took the fact that she because I don't know anybody who even comes close to looking like Morgan Fairchild. She almost looks like somebody drew her and made her real. <laughs> Like just yeah, like, like, like she can't possibly yeah. exist in real life. Like there's nothing about her that looks human to me. I mean, she's a beautiful woman, but I mean, like it's too, it's so perfect. And so I think that she realized that that those she was going to play a lot of roles like that. So she kind of had fun with them, and and she took it as far as she could in terms of like high camp or like irony in her performances. Uh, maybe not in the Initiation of Sarah. She's just flat out horrible in that. Like, she's just a very mean, nasty girl in that. But later on in, like, Paper Dolls and a lot of other stuff she did, it was like there was always kind of a knowingness to her portrayals of these characters that I really appreciated. And I think it made her really likable and more relatable to audiences. That's my opinion. I'd agree with that. You know, I mean, she was in Roseanne, which I was a big fan oh, of. God, I don't remember Roseanne. that either. She played uh, Sandra Bernhardt's girlfriend. Oh, did she really? In the first few episodes, yes. That's awesome. We'll have to yeah. that. Oh yeah, I mean, um, it, you know, it's it's she she really plays well off of Sandra Bernhardt on that show. I thought they were really funny together as a couple, uh, but I think uh, Sandra did end up leaving her for Mariel Hemingway. Uh, wow. Well, yeah. Wow. The pickings were good for Sandra. <laughs> I know. She got <laughs> great picks on that now, didn't she? So now, did you see the uh, remake of The Initiation of Sarah? Yeah, I did. And I didn't mind it. I, I liked it well enough. A new ABC Family original movie. They're two sisters starting a new chapter in their lives. We can reinvent ourselves. Join a sorority. We're going to be popular. But on Sunday at 8, 7 central. Sometimes things are... Nearly what they seem. Campus life is gonna be a real witch. Why are you doing this? Sometimes sisters do horrible things to each other. I want you to help me make it stop. 
Mika Buram, Joanna Garcia, Jennifer Tilly, and Morgan Fairchild. The blood of the one will be fed to the eternal flame. How's your mom? Good. Sisters, sororities, sacrifices. Somebody help me! Nobody takes my sister and gets away with it. The initiation of Sarah. Premier Sunday at 8, 7 central, part of 13 Nights of Halloween, only on ABC Fat. Monday, a very beautiful Russian countess and a fake Madonna full of top military secrets lure the $6 million man into a close encounter of the hottest kind. Then, it was all going to be so wonderful at college, especially sorority life, unless they didn't like you. I'll get you blackballed. The initiation of Sarah. Right after the six million dollar man. Well, that ad almost didn't make it to the end. Did you hear that? It was like all warped. That was a, that was a little barely make it. Um, <laughs> so, um, what I think is interesting about both of these trailers is, first of all, the first one from the ABC family is amazing, and I love that they did Thirty Nights of Horror which you don't see at all anymore. And this was just a few years ago. And also uh, on the original airing from 1978, it ran with the $6 million man, which makes it like the best night of TV ever. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know how you could lose with either night of programming. <laughs> That's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I think initiation of Sarah is an amazing film. Um, it, it has, I think all those movies were like women do supernatural. I'm actually working on something kind of forming my ideas about that. Um, the empowerment of women and um, young girls in like supernatural movies. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a really great film. And I think all the girls in that movie are great. Uh, Kay Lenz is especially good as Sarah. And um, Morgan Brittany is good as her sister. And Tisa Farrow is really good as Mouse. And, of course, Shelley Winters. I mean, it's just a solid. Oh, and um, isn't what's her name in it? Um, Talia Balsam. You know what I'm talking about? I, I think she's in it as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, she was in that movie Cross Space with Klaus Kinski, but uh, I'm pretty sure she's in this as well. Yeah, it's it's a really solid little film. I love it. Me too. She and, is in it. Um, one thing I wanted yes. to say is, have you seen, uh, based on an untrue story, where she kind of does a satire of made-for-TV movies? No. Oh, it's amazing. I'm I love writing that, that down. So she, uh, Morgan Fairchild plays uh, Satin Chow. <laughs> and she's uh, <laughs> she loses her sense of smell, and she has anosmia. Eno- and she needs to get an olfactory nerve transplant, so she has to track down her long-lost sisters, uh, Corduroy and Valor. <sighs> and uh, it's just really funny. Yeah, you should look it up. Is this a film you made, Nate? No, it's a real movie. Nobody believes you. <laughs> it's from uh, 1993, Satin Chow. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I think she just really knew how to have fun. Well, and what's funny is at yeah. the end of the movie, she does a, like a little, like you were talking about earlier, she kind of lampoons herself. Because at the very end of the movie, she's like, we've had a lot of fun tonight. And she goes, hello, I'm Morgan Fairchild, and I have the privilege <laughs> to be Morgan Fairchild. <laughs> it's a lot of privilege, I have to admit. It's really good. I, I'm, it's my favorite. It's my favorite Morgan Fairchild TV movie because they do a, such a good job at, like, kind of lampooning uh, TV movies without, you know, being mean about it. It's a very good-natured lampoon. Definitely uh-huh. need to see that. She did an interview just a few years ago. She was in a movie called, I don't know what the actual title is, but when they were filming it anyway, it was called Boy Toy. And the guy interviewing her said, oh, do you like playing a cougar? And she goes, I hate that word. She told her, I don't use that word when you talk to me. And I hate that word too. And I just totally in that moment, I was like, oh, Morgan, thank you so much 
for like, you know what I mean? And she's like, yeah, I'm an older woman with a younger guy. Why does it have to be a cougar? You know? And I just really yeah. heard saying that. But of course the movie's called Toy, so I'm sure it's amazing. Oh, and I should say in that movie, when they track down their mom, of course it's satin, corduroy, and velour, and their mom is Polly Esther. Wow. Uh. Isn't that, did you ever watch that TV series, Sledgehammer? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, oh my God, so I good. Because you know his parents' name were Jack and Armin. Yes, that's right. <laughs> this is so funny. We just watched, we started watching the pilot to Sledgehammer the other night. Oh, the pilot's so wonderful. Good. The pilot's so very good. funny. Yeah, very funny, show. yeah. That's a really good pick, Nate. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else you want to say. or um, That was it. That was the stuff I wanted to touch upon, and I really hope that you are able to find that movie. I want to hear your thoughts about it. I feel like I need to write about it because it's so important. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, – that's, they, yeah. they lampoon just about anything you could think of, like a, a disease movie. Uh, Harvey Corman's in it, and um, oh. uh, Diane Cannon's in it, and she's oh. amazing in it. Oh, my she God. She plays um, Varda Gray. She runs like a um, – it's a perfume company, and Satin has created a new perfume called Puppy. <laughs> I don't want to say too much. I'll stop now, but it's really good. Okay. Wait, wait. I've got to say one more thing. Okay. And it's Varda mm-hmm. is all the time talking about all her stepchildren, and she always will start a conversation with, all my children are deeply troubled, and I don't want to talk about it. And Satin will be like, okay, I understand. Say no more. And Varda goes – Okay, well, Beverly's the oldest. She has to live in a plastic bubble or she'll explode. <laughs> oh, no. Her life is hard. <laughs> but that was it. That sounds excellent. I'm definitely, I wrote it down. I definitely want to see it. Uh, Dan, do you have a favorite Morgan Fairchild? I do, and it is the wonderful, this is a film I saw, for some reason, I, They maybe they showed it on HBO or something, but it's The Zany Adventures of Robin Hood. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. It's from around 83, 84. It's basically, it's a um, Mel Brooks-y, semi-Zucker, Abram Zucker-style parody of Robin Hood. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's... Forgive me, I just want to look at the cast real quick right here. It's uh, George Seagal. Steven Seagal? George Seagal. Steven Seagal? Is that how you pronounce his last name? Yes. George Seagal. Steven Seagal. Is it George Seagal? See, is it Seagal? That's how I I say it, but I don't know, to be honest with you. He's a great actor, by the way. He is is really fantastic. And Morgan Fairchild is uh, Lady Marion. And it's Roddy McDowell. Mm. uh, My husband's seen it if Roddy McDowell's in it. A lot of folks in it. And it's written by the guy who wrote Love at First Light, which which I'm a big fan of. And and um, I I saw it about a year and a half ago, and it it wasn't quite as great. Wait, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't quite as great as I remember it, but it was still a lot of fun. And she's great in it because it's it's a it's a big farce, and she's she's really quite good. So so it's sort of like those those moments when you think she's kind of like giving you a little wink like I know what I'm up to when she's doing these roles well in something like this she's really like having fun with it and so Zany Adventures of Robin Hood I go for it she's, she's beautiful in it oh yeah and she's, she's beautiful in everything. everything is there anything else you want to say about that? Uh, no go see it if you have a chance I, I don't know if it's out on DVD it might be I, I don't know where I saw it maybe, maybe on Netflix Ooh, actually oh interesting it, it may have been on one of the, uh, the, the, the like Netflix or Amazon or Hulu Nate have you seen it? no I haven't yeah, sounds really good. That's uh, another one I'm writing down that I have to see. Remember, it's zany adventure. That's important. She when she got into super, character, she made it zany. Super zany. I think that's so interesting too because girls that look like her, I don't think always get to be really funny. Yeah, and yeah. and she and they're often the straight man or the love interest or whatever. And she really like somehow worked around a lot she of that. Do it. Yeah. Um, 
And and when I do uh, when Christmas time hits and I watch a lot of Christmas episode of TV shows, there's that great episode yes, of Mark and Mindy a- that she's in. And it's it's always so funny to watch, like, because that's when Robin Williams is at his height of craziness on the show, and it's funny to see her alongside it because I always it, it's it's a nice well, it's a fun it's such match. a poignant episode too because you know like there's that scene where I don't remember exactly how it goes but she's like oh I'm your best friend Mindy and we're gonna spend Christmas together and she sort of forces yes. herself on Mindy but then at the end you yep. find out she has nobody to spend Christmas with not at the end but like at the yep. halfway point because at the end she kind of leaves them anyway but yep. she says something to the effect of it's not like I have anybody else to spend Christmas with to herself she says it and it's such a nice little moment because the character is very superficial and it would be really easy to throw her aside but they give her uh, something that's like really tragic and they just it's just a moment in the episode but then it kind of makes you like feel like she's a real person and it's actually one of the few episodes where Mork uh, doesn't uh, report to Orson oh I didn't know that that's interesting in the end of it yeah trivia all around it's it's a good it's a good episode and it's it's sort of like with the Fonz back in what is it Christmas of 74 when they discovered that the Fonz had no one to spend Christmas with. You spend it with me. But, of course, yeah, but I was going to say, I mean, I think the thing with the Fonz, though, is his parents abandoned him. So that's that's why when he was a baby or a child. Whereas her, uh, I was going to say Morgan, Morgan Fairchild's, I think her friends probably <laughs> yeah. abandoned her because she's a I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if her parents abandoned her, too, because, <laughs> because <laughs> she was a difficult person. And could you could you imagine that? Because Morgan Mindy came from right. Happy Days. Could you imagine an episode where there was a because Mork travels back in time yes. in the, the second time he appears on Happy Days? Could you have imagined an episode if he had brought Susan back and said, "I brought Susan, Susan Taylor." Yeah. That's Morgan Fairchild's character's name. Uh, I brought Susan back to spend Christmas with the Fonz. Uh, I think if I think I she probably would have resisted his charms. I think she could have done it. I think really? so because he doesn't it's, make enough money. She was very superficial. By the end of the series, do you remember? By the end of the series, he owned his own but body shop. She didn't shop. know that. He they owned, they didn't have owned, a knowledge of that. He, and plus, he still lived up in the Cunningham's garage. Sorry, no. No, yeah, it's not going to happen true. for them. But he's a he's a teacher. He owns a diner, a and he owns a she body. Wants, and she doesn't want to date, live in Milwaukee. Boulder's oh my gosh, glamour. you're right. But she lives in but Boulder. Boulder has skiing, like like bunnies. I mean, she wore some amazing clothes in that episode. Trust me, she was hitting the slopes. Could someone who is listening to this please write a little fan fiction Christmas story about Susan Taylor and the Fonz and what happens when they meet at Christmas? Because Amanda and I aren't going are, to hit a common ground, and I know, Nate, he's too polite to jump in. So we're, gonna, we're just going to have to carry on. We're going to have to, we're gonna have to carry on. I picked, uh, if everybody's done, I, I, yeah. I picked my two Sarahs. So I picked The Initiation of Sarah, which you've already talked about, and uh, something called The Haunting of Sarah Hardy, which is, I'm not even sure when it came out. It's a later film, like late 80s, early 90s. Uh, It might even be, it's a USA original, if I'm correct, 1989. And she doesn't star in it. She's the supporting actress. And it's a movie about a woman uh, whose mom dies really tragically and weirdly. And then she sort of inherits the house and she gets married. And when she moves back into the house after she gets married, uh, her mother starts to appear places and basically terrifying her. And Morgan Fairchild plays her best friend. And her other best friend is played by Roscoe Bourne, who was um, Mitch Lawrence on One Life to Live, the evil cult leader. And he's fantastic in this. And Morgan Fairchild wears a lot of pink, like every she wears is pink and she looks amazing and she plays a really amazing character it's very under the radar 
but it's super important to the film, as well as Roscoe Bourne's character. It's just a really good, it's a solid late entry horror film, and it's made better because she's in it. And I highly recommend everybody seek it out. I think it's a really, really solid little, uh, like, ghost story. That's my pick. I don't know. I've heard the title, but I've never yeah, seen it. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I wrote about it for the USA original. She was also in a USA original. Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but her character's name is Magenta Hart. And she plays a romance mm. novelist who's divorced. And she really hates her husband. And the, the divorce was really horrible. It's called Writer's Block is the name of the movie. In her novels, I guess they're not romance novels. They're like romance thrillers. Her, she, she writes about a serial killer, basically Dexter. And she keeps killing her husband's new wife over and over again in the novels. That's like cathartic for her. So the, the, the victims are always the same woman in that they all look the same. And so she created this serial killer who turned out to be this really wildly popular character in these books. And, and just so she could kill this woman (laughs) that she hates in real life. And then she starts getting followed by a stranger who knows her books a little too well. It's a pretty good movie. She's great in it. She's totally against type in it. She plays kind of, she's not obviously not dowdy, but she plays like a very lovelorn, lonely woman in it, which is something I never thought I'd see Morgan Fairchild do. It's pretty straightforward until like the last 15 minutes. And then it's like WTF for the rest of the film. And it's pretty fun. I liked it. So that's my Morgan. Awesome. Yay, Yay, Morgan, we love you. Good more feet. Feedback time. Yeah. Oh, yes. So one of our followers on Twitter, his name is George Wetterer, and he's, I know I said that wrong. It's at George98414198. Try to remember that. He wrote Forever Chloris, which I agree. And then Chad Keith on my blog's Facebook page wrote, I really like Chloris Leachman in Dying Room Only. She held her own to a muscle-bound, in quotes, Ned Beatty and an extremely disgruntled cook, played by Ross Martin, who never washed his hands even after handling a lot of raw ground beef. Brave brave woman. (laughs) And then he added, Elizabeth Montgomery is also great, too. Um, Christopher Lynn wrote Meredith Baxter Burney. Valerie Christopher Rood also said Meredith Baxter Burney. I love her in the Betty Broderick movies, but my favorite made-for-TV movie is Kate's Secret, where she plays a woman with bulimia, which I also think is a pretty good movie. I don't know how well-versed we are on Meredith Baxter Burney movies, but she made a movie that I love. It's on Amazon uh, Instant Video for free if you have a Prime account called Betrayed, A Story of Three Women, co-starring Swoozy Kurtz. So that's your clue that it's amazing. And it's about Meredith Baxter Burney's uh, married, happily, you think, but her best friend, played by Swoozy Kurtz, has a daughter who's having an affair with Meredith's husband. And it totally, obviously, destroys their friendship when everything comes out into the open. And the whole movie is, like, about how that happens and how they get back together. And it's so good. I've actually watched it twice in, like, the last year. I just think it's so good. It's, like, very lifetime It's small to a little bit, but the actresses are so good that it's, like, you can't take your eyes off the screen. I just I just think she's wonderful in it. Um, Dan, are you a Meredith fan? I am a, I am a Meredith fan. My favorite... Uh... A TV movie of hers, I would say, is probably The Cat Creature. Oh, that's a good movie. I do like a Curtis Harrington, uh, who's a great director, and it's just a, it's just a wonderful, creepy, strange. It's it's one of those films that I feel like we'll we'll cover yes. at some point, possibly. Uh, so I don't want to go too far into it, but she's great in it, and that's all I'm going to say in it. And she's 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 yeah, I, I I like that. I've seen that. I've watched that probably three times she's, now, and I, I she's bewitching it. in that. Speaking of not she being able is. to take your eyes off of somebody, she's so commanding yeah. in that film. 
Yes. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. I've only seen it once, but I just saw it recently for the first time, maybe two years ago. Oh, yeah, wow. I loved it. I loved it. There's some really weird um, sexual fluidity in there, too, which we'll talk about when we get to it. Yeah. I bet it was so cool that he <laughs> threw it in there, like, so nonchalantly. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing. Um, Nate, do you have um, a Meredith film? Do you I don't think I have a Meredith <gasps> film, to be honest. I don't think I've seen that many Meredith Baxter films, except for, of course, Betty Broderick. I've seen it. Have you seen Winnie? No. You haven't seen Winnie? No. Oh, my God. That's where she plays like a mentally retarded character. And David Morris Mm. plays like her boyfriend. And I love that movie. My husband hates it. It's like torture if, like, I were to make it. (laughs) But, you know, I love those movies. And um, she's so good in it. I thought you would have seen Winnie. Oh, actually, I'd never heard of it. Oh, Nate, I hate to do this. Oh, no. So disappointed. But I no, get you, that a but lot. I think when you see the Betty Broderick <laughs> movies, you've seen the pinnacle of her like TV movie career because that's the movies that everybody remembers her yeah. for. She's amazing in those films. So you can pick those. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm going to go with then because that's the ones that I remember more than anything else. Yay, yay. Yay. Yeah, she's made a slew of TV movies. Those are the ones that come to mind, the ones you guys brought up. Um, I can't think of any more, which really bothers Well, Kate's Secret is really good. Somebody mentioned that, where she plays a bulimic. And it's kind of an interesting film because she's an adult in it. And there's, like, some, like, I remember she's somewhere and she's just, like, chowing down. And it's, like, kind of shocking. And she she was, I guess, doing TV movies her whole life. But I think maybe it was after Family Ties that I really started to kind of take note of her in those movies. Maybe because she was playing characters like Betty Broderick. Like, every character was so different. You couldn't, like put your finger on like what her next film was going to be. You know what I mean? They were so uh, different. She did a movie called Darkness Before Dawn, another movie my husband can't stand, um, where uh, I think she's a nurse who's a drug addict and she's like breaking into like the, you know, prescription areas to like do drugs. It's like torture for my husband to watch that movie. She did another movie. I'm trying to find it now um, that I want to mention real quick. It's also on Amazon streaming. It's called The Stranger Who Looks Like Me with Bo Bridges, and it's about a woman looking to find her adopted, her real-life parent she's adopted. And if I'm correct, I think her real-life mom plays her mom in the movie. So it's probably worth saying just for that. But it's on Amazon. It's really good. It's it's a straight drama. Patrick Duffy has a very early role in it, and Bo Bridges is amazing in it. So, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. So I'm going to go ahead and, and tell you who I chose. Now, I, I struggled so hard with this. So I'm just going to briefly mention the girl I was going to pick, or woman. I shouldn't call her girl, but because um, she's all woman. I was going to pick Barbara Eden because Barbara Eden is in my top five all-time favorite actresses. I love her TV movies. I love everything about her. I think she's an extremely talented, uh, powerful actress, underrated all the way. Um, I can't think of a movie she's been in where I didn't like the movie. And even if I didn't love the movie, I always loved her. But while I was kind of wrangling with who I would pick my husband brought up that this actress that I chose was has been one of my greatest inspirations in my life and I I thought about it and I thought you know I really have to do this so I chose Valerie Harper who if anybody visits my blog knows that I'm a huge fan of hers I put together a pretty big um, Valerie Harper blogathon a couple years ago where it was just a bunch of people all over the internet kind of wrote about why they love Valerie the point was to celebrate her life while she was still here because she had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and it was so upsetting I mean it was so upsetting it was like losing I don't say it was like losing a parent, but it was like losing like a really good friend. You know what I mean? And knowing you were going to lose them. I thought 
I don't want to mourn her loss. I want to celebrate her life. So I really started getting back into my Valerie. And I also wrote a pretty extensive article about Rhoda on my blog as well. I'm really, Rhoda is one of my greatest inspirations in life. Who doesn't want to be Rhoda? You know, there's this really great line in um, Romy Michelle's uh, high school reunion where the, well, I can't remember who says it, but she goes, I'm the Marion, you're the Rhoda. And the other girl goes, I'm not the Rhoda, you're the Rhoda. And it's like, they're so offended by being the Rhoda. But Rhoda was the cooler one. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to be the Rhoda. She was so fashionable and beautiful and self-deprecating and funny. And she married Joe, who's like one of the most gorgeous guys who ever appeared on television. And they really messed up Rhoda when they separated those characters. But she lived like a real person and had real problems and things that we could all relate to. Now, don't get me wrong. Mary Tyler Moore is beautiful. And she was a great inspiration, especially for career women in the 70s. But Rhoda, there was something about Rhoda that like transcended like a TV character. She was like a real person to me. And not only that, but she was in one of the very, very first horror movies I ever saw. And I have a promo for it right here. Officer, officer, I'm almost done empty. Where can I get some gas? With only two interruptions, a young woman finds herself the target of a deranged killer in night terror. Oh, my God. Someone is trying to kill me, kid. He shot a police officer. I saw the whole thing. And the nightmare begins as Valerie Harper stars in Night Terror, Monday at 8 on Channel 5. What I love about that trailer is that they, there's only two interruptions. I don't know if you caught that at the beginning. Um, so they only had two commercial breaks when they aired it uh, in syndication on that channel because it's that scary to me. I mean, I think it's a super effective film. Got Richard, I think it's Richard Romanos plays a, uh, uh, yeah. that is that the actor. So basically she's like this very hapless sort of housewife and she's moving uh, across somewhere across the desert to be, but her husband, she, she's moving by herself. So her husband and her kids are going different ways. And I can't remember exactly what sets her on her journey. I think her kid gets sick or something. And she ends up having to drive across the desert in the middle of this big move. And she, she pulls over at this sort of police checkpoint and the guy in front of her kills the police officer in front of her. Now that's well and good and terrifying enough, but what's super scary about him is that he speaks with a voice box. So he puts this thing up to his neck and he's like, I want coffee. Like at the very beginning, he's at the diner. And you remember he spits a dollar out at the waitress. Like, I think he chews on the money and spits it out. And, um, and he's like, thanks. I don't think he thanks her, but like, you know, he's totally <laughs> crazy. And in the whole movie, it's like she cried murder in that the whole movie is basically just her being chased across the desert by herself, by this completely terrifying madman. And I saw that movie when I was probably six, five or six years old, and I never got over it ever. It just terrified the bejesus out of me to no end. And I rewatched it. I haven't seen it in a while, but I rewatched it a few years ago. And I I didn't realize how beautifully made that film was. Obviously, when I was a kid, that's not what I was thinking about. But like the score, especially, it's so off kilter and weird. And the atmosphere and the chase, it's just it's so it's like dual. But without but the truck is this guy with the voice box. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's yeah. just nonstop. And um and it's got this kind of really poignant ending. I think she's reunited with her husband, and there's sort of like this idea of what she's been through, but I don't think that's actually spoken 
about. Like, I don't know. I can't remember if he knows or not, or she just shows up somewhere. But it's like, it's so well played. And that was before I really knew much about Valerie Harper or Rhoda. So then she came into my life as a funny actress. And, and I followed her pretty much throughout her entire career. I've always loved her work. Um, she did. She had a really banner year in 1982. She was in three TV movies. I can only remember two of them now. It was Feral. Oh, Don't Go to Sleep, of course. One of her most famous films. Then she was in a movie called Feral for the People, which was a pilot movie about a, like a district attorney's office. And um, she was also in something called An Invasion of Privacy, which I just watched for the first time last month. And it's um, about a woman who goes to a small town to kind of find herself again. And she gets raped by one of the locals. But the town is kind of like into her not pressing charges because he's this beloved local. And she's this sort of interloper. And uh, the movie itself has some flaws. but And she has a really interesting performance in it. But what is so great about the performance is after the assault, there's not a lot of tears from her. And in a way, it's kind of like you feel a little detached, but there's something about she tells her ex-husband comes to visit her, Jerry Orbach plays her husband, and she just looks him straight in the face and she says, I've been raped. And she never blames herself at all through the entire film. There's never any self-doubt that she was a victim of rape and that she didn't cause it. And it's such a strong message to, to have in the film. And the film is actually about how she had to introduce her own sexual past to the jury because the other side was kept trying to like make her out to be like this like sort of wanton woman. And so she actually had to like openly talk about her sex life on the stand. Uh, it's just so poignant. It, it's just, I think it's a really important film. And I think that she just did a lot. She did fluff um, and she did important work. And, but through it all, she was amazing. She's always been an anchor in my life. And I mean, I can't think of anything. She's, oh my God. So she just did this two, she didn't just do it, but I just watched this two part love boat she did. <laughs> Where she plays an older woman who is this like college professor and Grant Show from Melrose Place, one of his very first roles. He was her student, but now he's like graduated and he's like in uh -oh. love with her. But she's in this horrible marriage. And so the whole time, like there's a scene and I'm not making this up. There's a scene where she's on the deck sunning herself and he's wearing like nothing and he's rubbing oil on his chest and staring at her. And she's got this straw in her mouth. And it's like so like orally fixated and like he's just oiling himself up. And, you know, he's so ridiculously beautiful, ridiculous. And, um, oh, my God, it's like so good. So those are my recommendations. Yes. <laughs> Dan, do you have a recommendation? I was I was I, I was going to recommend Night Terror. Which um, I, uh, I I quite enjoy. And oh, I'm sorry, because that was my recommendation. <laughs> so no, so I'm gonna don't go to sleep. Oh my god. Oh no no. So I I was actually going to say so instead I'll go to, for don't go okay, to sleep because <laughs> because that was <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I'm trying to think oh, no, of something. No, no, so Boy, Great minds think alike. That's, right. That's what this is about. I was going to say Valerie's family was a pretty great show, it if was. I remember correct. Um, but uh, yeah, either either one of those. Um, I, I'm actually i've i've got a i've got a review up on IMDb right now that I just like to read the few first few sentences from because this is the sort of review that drives me up the wall. I just uh, someone's reviewing. It's under Night Drive. Okay, yeah, that's the AKA. Uh, yeah, and someone Kirk J at direct. Uh, .ca in Vancouver. Kirk, let's talk. Because his, listen to the start of this review. I saw this movie years ago on a late night TV movie and haven't forgotten it. It kept me on the edge of the couch and I couldn't get to sleep for hours. Dot, dot, dot. 
Not that it was a terribly good movie, just one of those you remember for a long time. Wait a minute, Kirk. Don't doubt yes. your feelings. Maybe it was a <laughs> it was a terribly good movie. Don't don't this kind of review drives you up the wall. I just saw this when I was when I was researching her movies uh, the other day. I saw this and I was like, "Don't do that." You say how great it is. It kept you on the edge of your seat. It was great. And 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 then you say, well, not that it was a good movie, but maybe it was a good movie. Maybe that's why it succeeded in I doing that. I feel like we – okay, so you know how, like, there's people who are like, I hate remakes, and everybody's like, oh, people who hate remakes are posers. I love remakes or whatever. And so I feel like I feel <laughs> like you could take that same argument and put it into people who are like me and perhaps you both in that nostalgia is a good thing, and then there are people who think mm -hmm. nostalgia is a bad thing. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of problems with nostalgia. People say they want to go back to the 50s. Um, don't, they're yeah. not black, and they're probably not gay, yes. and they probably don't ever have to buy a tampon, right? I would. I was going to say that they're they're probably yeah. me. Yeah, basically. So, so I think nostalgia is uh, has its place and doesn't have its place. So I agree with it to an extent, but I think some people are almost afraid of nostalgia. So like they feel like if something was good in 1977, but they have to watch it now, like with 2016 eyes, and that's fine. There's a place for that. But sometimes I think it, it ruins your entertainment because you're looking to be critical and you don't necessarily need to be. It, it has to be. Qualified. Yeah, it has to be like it has to be like television is so different now. Film is so different now. And I get it. it they're not as good. Night Terror is never going to be as good as like, I don't know what's a new uh, big budget, like the conjuring in terms of uh, production value. Right. Mm -hmm. Um but that doesn't mean it's not a good movie and doesn't have its place. And it especially doesn't mean that if you saw it as a kid, it has to suck now. Yes. And and I always think, too, that in this in this time period where we can instantly get access to decades and decades worth of of stuff that, you know, when I was a kid in the 80s, I could, you know, if I, you know, if I wanted to watch you know, if I wanted, if I, like when I loved, in the mid 80s, I, I loved Get Smart. And I wanted to watch as much, much Get Smart as possible. Now I can go online and buy the entire series for like 40 bucks and get it on DVD. And I have it and I own it and it's mine. And I can watch the entire thing. Back then, I used to have to read about right. it. And I would occasionally catch an episode maybe once a week on syndication. You know, but it's like, now that you have access to everything, I always feel like, why not watch Night Terror and accept it for the time period in which it was made and go, oh, flip, this is really right. good. Oh, wow. You know, rather than having having to qualify. Because who I, I would say I'm not a huge IMDb fan, but who are you qualifying it for? I mean, if you say this, I really enjoy this movie. It's suspenseful. It's exciting. You should watch it. Valerie Harper's great. Is someone to come on and go? Hmm, yes, well, this is 1977, so it's things were different then, and you need to uh, adjust your attitude. Is that something people say? I don't know, but um, <laughs> but it's it's funny because yeah, I love Night Terror and Don't Go to Sleep. Don't Go to Sleep was a film I remember watching on a repeat. I don't quite remember when with my sister Lorraine, and we got the poopy <laughs> scared out of us by it and we were just like wow and we were i i possibly think even even then at that age you know in circa i was 13 or something like that even then i was thinking wow this is a tv movie doing this because you didn't expect it because that was the time of all the uh big mini series sure, yeah. and, and and epic events and things like and this that this is just and, a little film you know 
yeah, and don't go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, it was just like it was. Yeah, it's it, yeah. Either don't go to sleep or um or or night terror. And I'm sorry that I ruined it for you there, Nate. But please, <laughs> Nate, continue. Um, I, I don't know what I can say because um, <laughs> I, I, we we've discussed my pick. <laughs> well, so let me ask Nate. When did you first see Night Terror? When do you remember watching it? I watched it with Grant Grant. Oh, did you? What the did first he? Time. Oh wow! Oh my gosh! That's that's a better story than um, I had. What do you think? Oh, he really liked it. Okay. Um, Greg, um, he likes, um, you know, like 70s horror films, and we had kind of finished, you know, um, a lot of, you know, the better 70s horror films, so I told him we should delve into, you know, some TV movies from the 70s, and Night Terror was one of the first ones we watched. Uh, We watched it on a double bill with uh, The Victim, actually. Oh. Um, So that was a double bill for one night, and, and he really loved Night Terror. I loved it a lot too. I love the scenes at the gas station. Oh yeah, you know I that's so suspenseful. Trivia: So the curly-headed guy that's like the gas station attendant. Do you mean the abandoned gas station or when she stops and gets gas? I meant I'm, the abandoned. One. Oh, you know, and I think when she stops and gets gas, it's before shit hits the fan. But that curly-headed guy at the beginning of the film was in Jaws too. He's one of the teenagers in that. Oh, just to I didn't know out. that. Yeah, I'm so obsessed with Jaws too that it's not even funny. That's a yeah. great movie. I want yeah, to rewatch uh, that again so bad because I haven't seen sla- it. In it's years. slasher. slasher it, it's totally draws. slasher. And by the way, Justin kind of mentioned maybe you guys doing it, and I think oh, you should push him on it. Yeah, it's a great film. And I, and I think you should have Amanda yeah, on it. You feel free to invite me, but you guys should cover it. You guys should. <laughs> would that be fun? Would I think that would be fun. write to Justin and let him know? But the point is, is that that movie needs to be covered as a slasher. I've written about it a little, but yes. Retro Slashers is down now, so I can't like prom- you know be like, oh, I wrote this, but um. Yeah, that's a movie that needs to be discussed. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. Yeah, Emma has Donna Wilkes. Yes, it does. Uh, oh yeah, awesome. yeah. She, oh my gosh, she screams her head off in Jaws too. My God. Yeah, it's not quite like her character in Angel. <laughs> no, no, it's a little different. No. Or or what's that movie she made? Oh my God, Blood she Song. Was she always, blood she was, Song. Yeah. Oh, Blood Song. Blood I love Blood good, Song. And I like oh, with Frankie yeah, Avalon. So good is that killer. And his synth flute, his synth flute. Um, I like Schizoid quite a bit as well. I like yeah. I like older characters in slasher films. You don't see that very often. Um, no. Anyway, but get to get back to Valley Harper. Another movie that, since we like horror, I think it's not a great film, but it's really entertaining, is People Across the Lake with Gerald McCraney. Have you guys seen that? Oh, no. I know of it. It's one of something. You know, I took a horror writing class, a screenwriting class, and one of the things they pumped into our head was that you need to have, like, a scare every seven minutes or something shocking happen. And that movie, like, you can almost time, like, the shock scenes. And it just kind of <laughs> snowballs into, like, hysteria. It's, like, crazy. It's crazy. It doesn't even make sense to me completely, but I really, really enjoy it. I think it's a really fun movie. She's also in a Perry Mason TV movie called The Case of the Fatal Fashion, and she plays the victim in it. And um, I think she's, like, a fashion writer. I think she has a magazine or something. And she wears this amazing blonde wig, and she chews up so much scenery. You can see the wood chips in her teeth when she's done. (laughs) She's so good. She's so good. And so I highly recommend that one. So I could go on. I'm sorry. I could recommend almost every. And also she's in um, A Friend to Die For. You know, she's the mom in that. So oh, yes. yeah. she's everywhere. She's omnipresent. The death knell of the reunion TV movie was the Marion Rhoda movie. Have you guys seen that? I, I know of it, but uh, I haven't seen it. Was I like it, it but it, it didn't go over well at all. Oh. Here's, or here's the Hallmark Channel ad for it. I know who you are. A Hallmark Channel movie event. 
What were we thinking? I don't know. Two of TV's best friends reunite. Go get them, kid. You too. And discover that after all this time... I'm stronger, more secure now than I have ever been. Some things never change. It's just a natural phase of things, right? Mary Tyler Moore, Valerie Harper, Mary and Rhoda. On Hallmark Channel. Almost everybody I know hates Mary and Rhoda. And when it came out, it got a lot of, it had a huge rating, but it, it bombed with critics and fans, mostly because it was just Mary and Rhoda, and they didn't incorporate any of the other characters, which Mary wanted to do if it became, I think they were trying to make it into a series or a series of films. And she wanted to like have a mix of old and new in there, and I think there was too much new for people's tastes. So it wasn't much of a reunion movie in terms of the fact that there wasn't anybody else in it. But, and it was also disappointing because Rhoda had divorced Joe and then remarried and divorced that guy. And she'd had a kid with somebody who wasn't Joe. And I had a hard time wrapping my brain around that because. I, and they were all named <laughs> Joe. Yeah. And Mary, Mary's husband dies in like a skiing accident. It's so weird. But what I like so much about the film, what stood out to me is that there's a lot of discussion about ageism in it. And in, in really clever, fun um, ways that sort of introduces the topic to people in ways that um, kind of invites discussion, but it, it's playful. So, like, you know, Mary's looking, she moves to New York, and she's looking for a job, and nobody will hire her because she's, like, 50. And so there's this great montage of her at trying to look younger in every job interview and like wearing her clothes and doing different hair. And then finally at the end, she's wearing like these giant sunglasses. And I think the guy asks her like how old she is and she lowers her glasses and she goes, how old do you think I am? And like, there's like a total, like she can't do it because she's this age. But then at the end, she puts together this like great story that all of New York falls in love with, even though it's a horrible story, to be honest with you. But, um, but in the universe of the film, it's like, oh my God, who did that? Oh, she's 50? She's amazing. And so like, I think it tackles relevant topics, but it's kind of covered up with like not great humor and the fact that like Murray isn't around or Lou Grant, do you know what I mean? So that was probably where it failed, but I liked it. Was it was it by the, the folks who did Mary Tyler Moore and Rhoda? Or was oh, it, well, I don't know. That's a good question because did Mary Tyler Moore do Mary Tyler Moore? Because, um, well, I, it was, wasn't it like a James L. Brooks show well, or something? Like I don't know. That, I know she or? had her own production company, but I don't know that. I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge expert on that, that stuff. I was wondering, like, for example, I'm sorry to do this again. Feel free to send me a virtual kick to the groin. But the, the Green Acres reunion movie was not made by the same okay. people who made Green Acres. And so that's why it feels different. So I'm wondering if, if it's, if it's this the same people who made the original shows trying something new or someone new. Yeah. I don't really know. I think Mary had a lot of control over it, but I don't, I researched it. I wrote about it. Uh, you know, to this day, um, me writing about Mary and Rhoda, it's one of the most popular posts on my blog. People like reading about it, but nobody seemed to like the movie. Now, she was the executive producer on it. I don't really know how involved she was in the TV series itself, which I feel bad about that. And I bought that I bought that book about her, about the show, and I haven't read it yet. So I feel embarrassed, but I'm sure somebody out there can correct me. No, no, we, we, we can come back to it. We'll look it up. We'll look it up, folks, and we'll come back to it. We'll do a little... The next episode. But I know we'll she was very conscious of the fact that it was just those two. And she said she wanted to, like, introduce a new show. And then when it got rolling, bring in the other characters. But that's uh -huh. not 
reunion that movies uh, are yeah. very they're very established structure, and you bring yeah. everybody back. And even in TV movies where they like some a good example would be Gidget Summer Reunion, I think is the name of it. I don't even think that any of the yeah. original actors are in that, but they brought back all of the characters. So yeah. I mean. I think that there was that just having the two wasn't enough, and also I don't think there was enough Rhoda. That's just me. Oh That's- wow, okay. Because I, I was going to say when I when I was uh, researching this, I saw I, I'd never heard of it, and I saw Married Rhoda, and I thought, oh my gosh, if that's done right, that sounds like that could be the it best thing like ever. It looks like Nate is like crazy looking at for Valerie Harper. You, I was trying to look up some of the I, stuff that I, we, were, we were talking about, but I didn't realize how late it was. Everybody. Oh no! I was looking at the clock. Well, we're at the end of the we're at the end of the third yeah, we're at the end of the third one. So. The, okay, yeah. So anyway, Valerie Harper, she's awesome. You need to see next year. Amazing. Can I can I just can I just say twenty seconds real quick? You mentioned ageism. Yes. There's you mentioned Sledgehammer right. earlier. Last of the Red Hot Vampires. Written by Alan Spencer, directed by Bill Ooh. Bixby. The second season of Sledgehammer is specifically, I think Alan Spencer might do the a commentary on the DVDs. It's specifically about ageism oh, in Hollywood. So if you watch, it's a very funny episode too. It's about a, uh, it's it's an old time actor who plays vampires and who has trouble getting a job. And it's it's an it's is Valerie Harper episode. in it? So you're oh, done. God, I wish I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. Feedback time. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, so Garnett uh, McGee, who's on Twitter at Garnett McGee, it's Garnett underscore McGee, it's M-C-G-E-E. She, she left a couple of great uh, responses. Karen Valentine, she wrote, Karen Valentine didn't make a ton of TV movies, but I love the ones she did make. I agree. Also, she uh, recommended Linda Pearl and Glynis O'Connor. We were going to do some uh, Linda Pearl recommendations, but, you know, we'll save that for the website. Our last piece of feedback, though, this one's uh, a little longer. I'm, I really love it. It's from our good friend Gore Blimey, who has a podcast called Trilogy Yay. of Terror, uh, and I'll just read it. Hi, guys. Gore Blimey here from the Trilogy of Terror podcast. In the UK, I don't think we ever had lots of made-for-TV movies like you did, probably because we only had three television channels up until 1982, just like us, when it became a whopping four. Most of the well-known TV movies from the 70s and 80s that Americans are familiar with I'd never heard of until talking to people on the web many years later. So while I was trying to think of an actress I really like who appeared in several made-for-television movies, there was one that immediately came to mind, Farrah Fawcett. First of all, yes, I'm hugely fond of Charlie's Angels, because you're awesome. There's something comforting and fun about the show that takes me back to my childhood. It's such an icon of 70s television, and so was Farrah. Breaking away from such a popular role and showing what else she could do was not going to be easy. She got Razzie nominations for her early performances in Saturn 3 and Cannonball Run and won a Stinker's Bad Movie Award for her role in Somebody Killed Her Husband. Oh my God, Stinker Bad Movie Awards. I've never heard of that. But before long, she started to get proper recognition for her acting and went on to receive, among other things, four Emmy Award nominations and five Golden Globe nominations. She seemed particularly drawn to roles that were emotionally challenging with hard-hitting subjects. Very far from the glamour of her Farrah flick and red swimsuit poster days, she appeared in a long list of TV movies with surprisingly tough scenarios, like surviving domestic abuse, bringing up a disabled child, hunting for Nazi war criminals, searching for a child she gave up for adoption, being stalked by a killer, making plans during a terminal illness, caring for an abandoned baby, and shooting your children to try to get together with a lover. I remember the burning bed made it onto VHS in the UK. Extremities did too. But what I think most of her TV movies were unknown over here at the time 
Even now, people mostly remember her as the pretty blonde one with big hair on Charlie's Angels. Her death in 2009 was completely overshadowed in the headlines by Michael Jackson on the same day. So rather than spending time looking back and celebrating all she'd done, the media briefly mentioned she died, then continued talking about the big headline of Michael Jackson. Well, that's how it felt to me at the time, and I find it very sad. I agree with you. Anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing your personal choices for favorite actresses, and no doubt I'll be learning about even more made-for-TV movies in the process. Cheers, guys. Gore. Thank you so much, Gore. I really love this. And, you know, when Farrah Fawcett died, I think, for me, um, it was something where I didn't realize how much how much I loved her until she wasn't here anymore. There was just something really, like, gut-wrenching about her passing. I think partially because she had been sick for so long, openly, in the public, and that uh, we sort of watched some of the sadness happen in front of us like we were losing a friend in a way because a lot of celebrities die it's like one day they're on tv and then they're dead and there's not that transition that family members and friends go through with somebody and I think with Farah, she was really frank about her cancer and um so I think we all kind of carried it with us in a way or I know I did and so there was something extra poignant and moving about losing her and you're right when Michael Jackson died just like five hours later or whatever, it was total chaos in the news and everybody kind of forgot about Farah. And I think that's really sad. And I think in some ways she's like Elizabeth Montgomery in that I don't feel like she got completely all of her dues. Although she did get a lot of accolades in her life, I feel like there should be more. I don't think we should forget her ever, especially because her TV movie contributions are amazing. I mean, just the burning bed alone puts her in the iconic status. Yeah. Um, not to mention just some of the other stuff that you mentioned that she did. Thank you so much, Gore. Oh, yeah, and, Dan. And thank you. Thank you, Gore. Uh, and I, I will say that uh, I, I I get off the bus four to five times a week to go to my day job at about um, 6.30 in the morning. And I walk around Westwood, which is in Los Angeles. I am literally, literally when I get off of the bus, I pass by the cemetery oh. And sometimes I go in and walk around the cemetery where she is buried. Wow. So it's literally, I used to work in the building. I now work in the building next to the cemetery she's in. I used to work in the building behind the cemetery where she is in. But literally, I, I can get out of my, I hop off the bus. It's it's I cross a little street. And I go into this cemetery, and it's a cemetery with Peter Falk and Merv Griffin and Heather O'Rourke oh, and a whole so lot sad. of people in there. Yes, and 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 Farah is is in there, and so it's like I pass her, and I just I just I doff my hat. I, I don't wear <laughs> a hat would. because it 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 it, it disturbs my beautifully <laughs> coiffed hair. Yeah, I see her. Yeah, it was her there. tragic. It it was really sad. Yeah. She was a, a wonderful talent, and um. I'm just going to really quickly, because I know Nate needs to go, but she did a movie called The Red Light Sting, another Bo Bridges movie, where I think that's also loosely based on true story, where she plays a, she sort of like works at a house of ill repute, and I'm not quite sure if she's a prostitute or just sort of manages, she's not a madam, but like somebody close to that position. She's the account. She, she's yeah, account she is, stable. and Bo Bridges is doing this undercover job where he actually buys the house to get this mobster and it's this whole crazy like scheme where they literally buy a whorehouse, the government. And, and it's a, 
I yeah, bought a whorehouse. Yeah, it's a fantastic house. movie, and she is just wonderful in it. And I just wanted oh. to mention that real quick. Uh, Nate, I know you're a fan. You almost picked a burning. Did you pick the burning bed in your top three? You did. did. Yeah, I did. Because uh, it was probably one of the first made-for-TV movies I ever saw. That's an intense uh, first TV movie. It is. <laughs> yes. isn't it? Yeah, it's a crazy. <laughs> I was movie. really young when I saw it. And what were you thinking? Um, I was very shocked because, I mean, I had never seen anything about, like, spousal abuse like that. Right. So that was a new one to me. And when I saw it, I was really surprised. Sadly, as I got older, I learned that, you know, and, you know, and uh, especially, you know, like a really long time ago, it was actually not that uncommon. And that is actually kind of sad to have heard. Yeah, definitely. definitely. But to me, like, it just seemed crazy to me. Because, you know, I mean, I didn't grow up in a household like that, so. Which is so funny because you beat the crap out of Wes all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's so battered. <laughs> I always say, I mean, I, I'm just like, you know, we were joking around the other day when we were hanging out with our friends and they were talking about Wes, you know, like, oh, he gets mad and he'll hit me. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, all I do is say, please, Wes, just not in the face. <laughs> Not my beautiful face. You know, and I got that from, and I that you might find this amusing is um, there's a there was a TV show I was watching, and they were kind of making fun of made for TV movies, you know, in, in a way, and they said, "Oh, I can't wait to see the new spousal abuse movie coming on tonight." Daphne Zuniga in Spooning with Anger. It ranks. <laughs> it ranks. It ranks second only to Valerie Bertinelli in Please, Kevin, Not in the Face. <laughs> oh, my God. What was that from? Uh, what did I hear that on? Uh, I don't remember. But I should pre- preface that with I do not think spousal abuse is funny in the least. Oh, no, of no. no. But, but I just thought that the oh. titles that they came up with, the sensationalist titles, were funny. Yeah, they, were, they did a um, spoof on TV movies, but I wish I could remember the name of it, on Hot in Cleveland, because Wendy Malick's character is an actress, and she got a role in a Lifetime movie, and it was a spoof title from The Stone Pillow, which is that Lucille Ball movie with Daphne Zaninga. You remember that, where she plays the homeless woman? Lucille Ball, yeah. And yeah. and I can't, it was called, like, The Rock Comforter. So, like, it was supposed to be a takeoff on The Stone Pillow. <laughs> Yeah, it was just really funny, and I love that they just threw it in there, and that like they trusted us to get it, because it's just a throwaway mm-hmm. joke. But it was it was really funny to hear. Yeah, Farah, uh, she did it all. I have to say, she was really able to, uh, mostly on television, really spread her wings into places where I think. So what I was thinking about was that um, when he when I got that piece of feedback was that. So I said to my husband one day, you know, everybody thought Farah was just this sort of like really light. Uh, blonde, beautiful actress, like like kind of giggly, and but that's because she was so good on Charlie's Angels that we believed that she was like that. Yeah. I mean, that's actually a testament to how talented she was, that we couldn't believe she could do anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like Suzanne Summers in Ants. Her character in that is a very smart, yes. savvy character until she gets bitten Fortune. to death by ants. So it's it's sort of very different. Definitely is, Smith. yeah. And also in Zuma Beach, she's she's a lot different too. Um, she's a pretty good actress too. She would, she could probably show up on her list. So I'll just wrap it up real quick. Thank you everybody for participating. That was a lot of feedback. Um, I just wanted to also wanted to thank Shannon who gave us that feedback theme that I played throughout the show. Um, yes, thank you. Yeah, you can find it Resting Willpower on Twitter, which is R U S T I N G W I L L P O W R. And if you take those same letters and then put .dot net, you can go visit her website. 
she has a new song up. I haven't heard I, I, it yet. Yes, I haven't listened to it yet either, but I, I, I bet it's probably yeah. I think good. It's, all of her music's amazing. So thank you so much, Shannon. Yes, uh, I really appreciate it. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, if you keep wanting to tell us who your favorite actresses are, we'd love to hear it. Favorite actor, favorite actress, favorite film. Um, themes you like to watch, genres. We want to hear about everything. You can reach us at Twitter at TV Mayhem Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Made for TV Mayhem Show. You can email us at TV Mayhem Podcast at gmail.com, or you can visit our website and comment on one of our posts at TV Mayhem Podcast.wordpress.com. Now, uh, we'll be coming back. I'm trying to make these shows more regular, but hopefully in the next few weeks we'll be back. We're going to start kicking off Halloween, I think, in the right style, while also paying tribute to another TV movie actress we love, Patty Duke. So we're going to do a Patty Duke double feature. It looks like, as of now, the two films we're going to do is Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby and The Amityville Horror, The Evil Escapes, which Dan uh, brought up are actually two TV movie sequels to theatrical films. So the big issue is access, whether or not uh, we can get the movies. Yeah, we're going to try, and those are the two we're looking at. If not, she's done a gazillion movies, including lots of horror movies, so we should be able to find something. But we're going to come back, and we're going to... I feel like this is long overdue. I wanted to do this the second I read about her passing. It was so heartbreaking. Um, So I'm really excited to just talk about how amazing of an actress Patty Duke is and how much we love her. So stay tuned for that. I'll be posting it on our website when we're getting close to recording if you want to leave feedback about patty duke we'd love to hear it okay so speaking of women we love uh tvparty.com eleanor roosevelt well that's close i love eleanor roosevelt but uh the uh abc movie of the week also embraced women actors and and um they did uh somebody on tv party put this together i don't know if it came this way like they just recorded or if they edited it together but it's two promos for when michael calls would start elizabeth ashley and um, The Screaming Woman with Olivia de Havilland in her TV movie debut. Tuesday Movie of the Week. Presenting an original motion picture produced especially for ABC. On Tuesday, movie of the week. Ben Gazzara, Elizabeth Ashley. Michael's been dead for 15 years. Michael! Now he's back to avenge his mother's death. presents Tuesday Movie of the Week.